0: Morning and welcome to a brand new episode of Riddles in the Dark, brought to you by the Mythgard Institute. I'm your co-host Dave Kale, broadcasting from the Microsoft campus in Redmond, Washington. Ooh. I got up at 6 a.m. and drove all the way in here, so I wouldn't have to worry about the shuttle. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yes. So today is an exciting day. We're uh, we're we've got a new locale for me anyway, and we're going to be talking about battles and death of course and that's really what the hobbit's about right (laughs) exactly Tolkien tells tells us that's what all good literature is about mortality mortality death yeah exactly Um, (laughs) so anyway let's get started with me as always are my co-hosts the Tolkien professor Corey Olson and Trish Lambert good morning you two good
1: morning good morning
2: Good morning. So, um, yeah. So today we're going to talk about uh, death. Well, you know, we've been we've been joking about this because we've been sort of leading up to this for a long time. It's been I don't know how many weeks that we, you know, have been sort of making reference to the, you know, oh, I think this person's going to die. And when we keep saying, oh, no, let's save it. we got to wait until we get... Well, today is the day when we're finally going to talk about the outcomes of the Battle of Five Armies. We talked about the setup for the Battle of Five Armies last time and how it's going to come about and how, uh, you know, how how it's going to begin and how the uh, the sort of uh, uh, tension and... Uh, uh, and disagreements and misunderstandings uh, that come before, which we've been discussing for a while now, are going to uh, erupt into actual battle and how the orcs are going to come in. And then and now today we want to talk about the actual flow of the battle. I would like to... Um, I would like to start off by thinking about the the sort of the the sort of reminding us about the shape of this cuz of course we were just joking about you know like oh yeah the hobbit of course is all about is all about death and you know this is something that i think that people it's it's a it's a little um um Kind of uh, objection that I found myself wanting to make all along, especially when people have been, in particular, of course, when the first film came out, um, and people, you know, people who haven't been obsessively speculating about this for years, um, you know, were sort of responding uh, to the film and saying you know oh but like the the hobbit is a lighthearted children's book it's not you know it's it's just not at all like this it's not it's not like the um you know the way that the you know the the film had been predicting this predicting that they're depicting this great epic thing well yes and no uh yes of the beginning of the book no of the end of the book and it's one of the really striking things that that um that always i think really affects attentive readers, when they read The Hobbit for the first time, is the shift in tone. It's it's a very perceptible shift in tone from the beginning of the book to the end. Um, the Hobbit really does grow up as we go along. And, and I mean, if you notice, the body count at the end of The Hobbit is higher than the body count at the end of The Lord of the Rings. I mean, we lose more major characters in The Hobbit than we lose in The Lord of the Rings. Um, so it's... it's uh, I mean, I think a very, um, something not to be underestimated, because clearly one of the things, um, one of the choices that Tolkien made, which is an unusual and kind of unexpected choice in some ways, um, is that he takes this children's book, which he has been very consciously designing for children all along, um, and I do not think, again, one possible way of interpreting it, one one interpretation some people have done, is to say that basically The Hobbit kind of leaves children behind, and it's not really so much a children's book by the end. And I disagree with that. I think that like what Tolkien is doing is basically sort of... Taking children and bringing them into contact with these other things. We know from the writing that he did in On Fairy Stories, for instance, when he talked about children and children's stories, is that he was very much opposed to the idea of children being sheltered. You know, he didn't like the the ways in which so many modern editors, and by modern editors, of course, he would have meant late Victorian, um, you know, and early 20th century editors... Um, who were, like, uh, you know, expurgating traditional fairy stories and stuff and wanting to remove... And he was criticizing Andrew Lang uh, for this. You know, Andrew Lang's great fairy story collections. You know, Andrew Lang being... Not exactly uh, to England what the Brothers Grimm were to Germany, of course, as his pro- his process was totally different. But basically, Andrew Lang was the primary transmitter of fairy tales into English, um, you know, in the in the in the nineteenth and into the twentieth century. And yet Tolkien objected to the way that he cleaned them up. So many of them he cleaned up, um, and he removed the more gruesome bits. And he he uh, Andrew Lang himself again uh, quoting or you know referring to a, a part of. Tolkien's commentary in uh, uh, in on fairy stories, um, instead of killing off the villains at the end, instead of the villains sort of you know receiving uh, uh, you know death and or some other form of punishment, Andrew Lang would, uh, you know, sort of joked about how he would uh, instead just sort of like send them off into retirement with uh, with a comfortable pension instead. And Tolkien hated that. You know, he said that he thinks that, you know, that, and that he didn't think children like that, and he certainly didn't think that children had to be protected from this idea of, you know, the harsh realities of life. Stories are one of the means by which children begin to be able to understand and process what the world is like. It's interesting, in fact, that essentially his argument is that in many ways, for children, fairy tales are the opposite of escapist. They are the way in which they are acculturated. Into the real world, into the adult world, um, that they that they play a really important role in that, or can or should play a really important role in that, and I think that that's what we can see happening in The Hobbit at the end. Um, The passage, and I mention this in my book, but the the passage that always particularly strikes me about this is his description of the suffering of the people of Lake Town, not just how sad they were and how difficult and uncomfortable it was, um, right at you know the morning after Smaug's attack when they're all huddling. Um, on the the shores of the lake and mourning the dead, but that he in fact goes on to explain the suffering and mortality that's going to be among them in the coming winter. you know, to, to sort of say, to really paint a picture for the readers, here's the really, very awful situation, and it's not just like and this is threatened. you know, if nothing good happens, you know, they might have a really hard time. He tells us. The future you know he says many of them will die over the winter that that that's going to happen um, and uh, you know and I think that that's that's a really uh important choice I think for tolkien and it 's something to really uh, to to not lose sight of when thinking about the Hobbit book is that the Hobbit book is not um, Um, And again, it's certainly, you know, I'm not trying to say that the sort of the the thematic emphases and the way that uh, Peter Jackson has been handling violence and death and things like that are in the same spirit that Tolkien is doing it. But certainly the way that sometimes people talk about The Hobbit in contrast to Peter Jackson's films sounds to me way too, way too naive, um, you know, way too simplistic. The Hobbit doesn't do that. Um, And you know the death scene of Thorin. We're going to talk about Thorin's actual um, Thorin's actual deathbed scene, uh, um, and you know sort of look at the end of of Thorin's trajectory next in our, in our next episode. Um, but the fact that Thorin dies and the and the and the deathbed scene that he has with Bilbo, this is uh, this is one of it's it's one of the most remarkable and one of the most moving moments in any. Work of children's literature that I know, I, it's, it's 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 a it's, it's a really striking thing. So um, anyway, that's um, that. that that's just I think an important context for us to recall um, as we think about as we think about the battle and we think about the uh, um, the you know the the death toll and the outcomes of the battle and everything is that you know here the Hobbit book has really drawn closer to the trajectory that the film has been on all along at this time. I, th- I feel like the, the the gap in some ways um, between the book and the film is much narrower here at the end uh, than
0: at the beginning. Are you talking about gap in terms of tone? Yeah, 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 primarily in terms of tone. You're talking about sort of like the the sense in which people say, like, oh, The the Hobbit's a children's book, um, um, you know, but the films are... but Jackson's altering the films and making them into the epic tone or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, I've always felt that way. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, my enjoyment of the book increases as as we approach the end. My favorite chapters are the last ones where it's where it's less fairytale-ish, more, um, um, you know, feels a little more epic in tone. I, I like those last few chapters. I like the description of the battle, but I am particularly like sort of the aftermath of the battle. Yeah, it's, it's,
2: it's, it's really quite, I mean, you think of all of the choices that Tolkien doesn't make, you know, Mm -hmm. um, he has so many opportunities, so many opportunities, his own story presents him um, with, uh, with, uh, uh, with many opportunities to clean it up, you know, Um, there are several. Happy endings, just waiting for him. I mean, they're 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 right there. Um, Bilbo's attempt could succeed, you know. Bilbo, you know, everything looks like it's going downhill fast. Bilbo does this noble, courageous, um, uh, humble thing, self-sacrificing thing of surrendering surrendering the Arkenstone. He's trying to establish peace. How hard would mm. it be to allow peace to be established, and then everyone's like thanks, Bilbo, if it weren't for you, a terrible battle would have happened, but because you were noble and self-sacrificing, you, like, you know, averted all of this bloodshed, and now everyone's happy, and we owe it all to Bilbo. That, in fact, would in some ways seem like almost a more appropriate thing, like, because then he would legitimately be the hero. Notice how he's been the hero of the story all along, and then I was going to say he vanishes at the end. Of course, that's literally true! He does vanish at the end. Um, But But that's, you know, he, he doesn't in fact play a major role at the end of the story. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, and, you know, and, and so you would think in some ways you could say even sort of the narrative drive of the story would, would suggest that Bilbo's culminating action be the climax of the story, right? But it doesn't happen. He doesn't avoid the battle. Despite his attempts, he does everything. Bilbo does everything right. He does everything that he could have done. And yet the battle happens anyway. Um, uh, you know, you could have had uh, you could, Thorin's final charge could have succeeded, right? You know, we could have had the okay. So, say so the goblins show up, um, but then Thorin charges out, and it looks like here's the U catastrophe we've been waiting for, right? Um, Thorin charges mm-hmm. down, and he rallies the people. And so this is like the final, culminating moment of the of the renewed, uh, you know, uh, uh, ally, you know, d- d- alliances between the dwarves and the elves and the men. And everyone rallies around Thorin, and he's gotten better, right? He's repented of his evil ways, and now he's he's like become a true self sacrificing leader, and everyone loves him, and everybody's happy, and they beat the goblins, and the end that's a good ending too and it's right there right i mean it's it's but that that's the point when i was a kid that's the point that always crushed me that thorin's mm. dramatic charge didn't succeed if I had had The Hobbit to rewrite when I was nine, that's how I would have rewritten it. <laughs> um, that's absolutely how I would have rewritten it. I've always loved. Um, and and this is also why, you know, like how you can tell that unlike, you know, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, I did not grow up immersed in the Northern uh, uh, point of view, right? Because to me, the great, the great, you know, the, the most exciting and heroic act is not the desperate (laughs) is dying and failed defense right uh you know the sacrifice you know the the surrendering your life uh uh nobly uh and uh taking many of them with you as the house burns down around you but rather the like you know the charge that this is why the the eucatastrophe on the battle of Pelinor field uh brings tears to my eyes literally every time i read it um the arrival the 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 unexpected miraculous arrival of Aragorn on the battlefield turning the tide of the battle and and uh uh you know and and, and you know Amir and the Rohirrim not dying and everything um, this is um, uh, th- that's 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 the scene that always affected me most and the charge You're, of the Rohirrim. Nora,
1: you could- you are a catastrophe junkie. Oh, absolutely.
2: I am completely <laughs> a catastrophe junkie. Uh, you can't... This is... It's, it's actually... I think it's one of the reasons why I have to confess to not just intellectual disagreement, but, like, personal annoyance with people who complain about catastrophe and, and just want to write it off as, like, a facile deus ex machina ending. Because, man, right. like, uh, you know, the the... There can't be enough you catastrophe for me. Tolkien could bring the eagles in twice as often as he does, and I'd be happy. And
1: you'd be a happy, you know? Guy. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So I, it's, it's, I, I yeah, absolutely. To me, no, no, uh, uh, there, there can be no superfluity of you catastrophe as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I uh, yeah, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so you know, but David, again, back to your point, but he keeps not doing this, right? I mean, there are a number of ways he could have brought a cheerful happy ending but instead he does instead he goes the tragic route um and it's it's deeply moving and 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 again i find it really quite uh quite quite remarkable um Mm. but anyway yeah um um yeah yeah um Bruce, when he does
1: that yeah, yeah thing, by the way, everybody, that's because he's reading your questions.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's also true. <laughs> I say it a lot anyway, but uh, yes, yes. Um, Bruce says, why do you think Tolkien chose to take Bilbo out of the final battle? Um,
1: I have a, I have an idea about yeah. that. Yeah, what's here? I, I just... I just tend to think. I was thinking about this the other day. As a matter of fact, Bruce, it's interesting you bring it up because I thought I just think he felt it was too problematic to try to deal with in writing. In other words, he, it was it was more convenient to, to you know, to kind of have Bilbo conk out and then get the report of the five battle post recovery. You know, after he comes to consciousness again, because it, it it could it could be more of a summary overview of the battle as opposed to writing the entire battle, you know, item by item by item by item like a Helms Deep type thing, you know. He he hadn't really done that yet and I just I just thought to myself, it seems to me like probably Bilbo got conked and, you know, passed out as a way of sort of not having to go into that much detail in writing.
0: So you're going with the didn't want to write the battle explanation.
1: That's well, what I'm trying to, I'm trying not to say it quite in those words, but yes.
0: <laughs>
2: well, I mean, cuz here is <laughs> I mean, one thing about that, of course, it's one thing to bring these kinds of things to kids, you know, in a in a in a in a children's book. And again, it's not like he spares the de- I mean, the the gruesome image of the vampire bats, um, you know, uh, uh, sucking the blood Matching from the on corpses the, yeah. on the battlefield is like sufficiently gruesome. I mean, that yeah. that 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 um...
1: Ger Martin would have a. <laughs>
0: That's what I'm
1: calling I'm calling him that now. Kerr Martin. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of stuff he loves to write. Right.
0: Yeah, I exactly. was just imagining what would the the GRR Martin uh, um uh what would that look like the, his version <laughs> of this story. I'm, um, and actually,
1: sadly, yeah. there are a lot of writers that would love to, you know, they would really get into writing the great exactly. details of exactly. that. But you're absolutely right. I, mean, um, I, just, yeah, I can't I, imagine Tolkien totally even wanting to write that stuff.
2: Exactly. I mean, because there's a difference between basically confronting children with the battle, even inviting them to imagine it, but he leaves that to their, he doesn't And actually, you know, Trish, you're thinking about George R. R. Martin here is, is I'm, I'm, I'm pausing because I'm wanting to be careful about saying this. Um, there are a couple different approaches that you can take as a writer, right? One is to, it depends on the, the degree of freedom that you are leaving the imagination of your readers, right? Right. Um, for some people they kind of will lead you to a thing and they'll kind of leave you to fill in a lot of the details on your own and with some they will take you through every
0: detail and um and some people will drown you in those details exactly
2: and 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 honestly we're not naming any names <laughs> right it's it's one of my negative reactions to george r r martin um to his i mean to his stories I should not should make it personal to him I've never met him and so don't have any personal reactions <laughs> to him but um one of my reactions to to reading his stories is because of the things that he describes and the the ways in which he describes them he is compelling me to go places where I don't want to go, I find it exhausting right. to go, and it's one of the reasons why I can't he get. forces it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like I'm, I am compelled. If I'm going to read the story, I am compelled to go down these these directions. And you can, I mean, it's, I'm not saying that's not a defensible approach, um, but it's why I find his books so unpleasant to read. I don't enjoy reading them. Um,
1: now, it, I, I think also, though, I admire
2: I, I them, but I don't enjoy it. them for that right. reason.
1: And I do, but I do also think that, I, and I'm gonna, you, I'm hopefully speaking for you, Corey, because I think we may share this. I'm, I'm not against, you know, blood and guts. I mean, I'm not. It's not like I'm not going to read any book that has blood and guts. For example, huge Dresden Files fan, and and butcher gets, you know, yeah. There's some, there's some liquid, messy, sticky scenes yep, in the Dresden Files stories. Absolutely. I don't have a problem with that. I guess, you know, I don't know. I maybe it's because the story itself is you, you got to have those scenes for the story to proceed, but I don't ever feel like he's taking me as far as Martin. Has
2: tried no, to I agree. Me. And to me, the the difference is, it's not just what is described, right? It's not even just about the level of description. Um, what Martin does, and he does it really compellingly, uh, you know, as I've said many times before, what I dislike about George R. R. Martin is not... A reflection of the ways in which his story is failing. It's a reflection of the way in which his story is succeeding. If his story, if his stories were less well-written and succeeded less well, I wouldn't dislike them as much as I do. I mean, I would, I would, I would enjoy them more. Maybe, I don't know. But basically because he does such a compelling job of bringing me into the mindset of appalling people. Um, you know, like I am I am, oh, yeah. I am, sort of compelled in my imagination. I'm compelled to invest my That's imagination in the outlook and mentality of people whose outlooks and mentalities I find absolutely repulsive. Yeah. Um, that I find the experience so completely exhausting. Now, but I, I, I don't want to go too far down this tangent, but this is to say... What Tolkien does in The Hobbit, and frankly, what Tolkien does most of the time, is a totally different kind of approach. And the re- one of the reasons for this, and I was thinking of this, I, I'm... I'm this is I'm going to do you know I know I occasionally do this where I like randomly answer a fan email I've gotten on a totally different subject <laughs> some time ago in the middle of an arbitrary episode where they're unlikely ever to hear it but um, I I I forget who it was. I can't even remember who it was now it might even be one of our listeners here who emailed me with a quotation from George R R Martin who was saying that Tolkien. Tolkien's stories are just basically not realistic enough for him. And in particular, what he was citing were the problems of kingship and rulership. You know, that, like, in The Lord of the Rings, Aragorn becomes king and, like, sets everything to rights. And, like, the whole country becomes, like, a good and benevolent place because he's a good and benevolent king. And George R. R. Martin was saying that's not realistic. Like, to be a ruler, you have to make really hard decisions. And, like, the political realities of real life force people, you know, so basically he was saying that in his stories, what he is doing is showing you know real complicated human beings trying to deal with you know and like they they don't always make choice you know choices everybody would applaud but they don't always have the best options and you know so they're you know many of them are trying to do the best they can but they're still doing awful things because that's what happens in the real world this was this was this was martin's argument as i'm as it was being transmitted to me here by uh by this listener um my primary you were reading that interview too
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that same interview.
2: My primary, my primary, uh, um, our, my primary response to that is that what I think George R. R. Martin is not um, considering there is that. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings is in a different genre entirely. It's just a fundamentally different kind of story. The fact that, you know, uh, Aragorn's right. kingship is not being depicted in a way which George R. R. Martin considers realistic is not, you know, a failure of Tolkien's imagination. Um, Tolkien, the Lord of the, neither The Lord of the Rings nor The Hobbit are novels in the strict g- generic sense. Um, the novel, which has its origin back in the 18th century, that the novel, which was, uh, uh, you know, which basically starts with Robinson Crusoe, right? Um, and the idea, oh, and and, and and Pamela, I don't want to leave Richardson out of it. We've got Samuel Richardson's Pamela and Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe, both of which are Claiming to be the reports of an actual person. So again, the whole kind of conceit of the novel is that it's something that happens a in our modern world and b in the real world. Right? That the, the, these are supposed to be just a fictional account of something that's happening in the real world. Um, in fact, many people who read Robinson Crusoe thought it was a true story. I mean, they they they, they, they had no no. Um, uh, sort of defense against that. that There was no established convention that prompted them to read this as fiction. You know, because in fact, that was the whole point of the novel is that it was was aping reality in that way. Um, The fairy tale tradition, the epic tradition, all of these other kinds of stories, they're not, inferior stories. this is one of the things that really annoys me about a lot of modern readers because the novel has been the dominant mode for so long that everybody assumes it's like the mode of storytelling and that if somebody tells a story in a different mode, if somebody tells um, if somebody tells a myth or a fairy tale or an epic or an allegory or any of the other kinds of stories that are even even a more traditional um, uh, romance, and I don't mean romance in the modern sense, I mean romance in the medieval sense. Um, uh, If if, if someone is trying to tell a story in any of those other kinds of genres, people will just basically evaluate it as if it's a novel and be like, "Yeah, really, it was kind of lackluster because it doesn't do all the things that I expect out of a novel. Dude, it wasn't trying to do those things. It's doing something entirely different. And that's basically my answer to George R. R. Martin's objection about the realism of Tolkien um, on a very different level. Um, it's very realistic, but it's not interested in the kind of storytelling that he's interested in. And that's fine, you know, different strokes and, and everything. It's it's, right. it's all good. Right. But, well, um, I, but it's, it's just, it's, Tom it's, it's Hillman, a silly I think, way to do that. Yeah, sorry, go ahead.
1: Tom Hillman, I think, makes a really good point. He says one of the main differences, and this, see if this kind of says what you've kind of been pointing to. Uh, one of the main differences between Tolkien and Martin is that Tolkien's fantasy is based on the literature of middle, of the Middle Ages, and Martin's is based on the history of the Middle Ages.
2: That is a really interesting distinction. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there are other... Um, to me, there's, there's a there's a fundamental framework difference. I mean, a, a lot of the difference... I, yes, I, I, I do agree with that. I think that's true.
1: I also think, you know, Andrew McLaughlin kind of says this too, which is uh, many of the writers that come after Tolkien in terms of fantasy writers. I, I, I think Martin seems to be one of these. It's like, they want to correct how Tolkien, you know, Tolkien's approach. It's like for, for them, for some reason, the way Tolkien approached it is, you know, I want to do it, you know, I'm gonna improve on Tolkien's approach um, which in there you know in Martin's mind, I guess what he's doing is doing that and I, I, I think it's more what you said, which is just it's a different genre it's just a different genre. It is. It is. I, I call Martin's I call Martin's military fantasy and actually mm-hmm. somebody in the Tolkien Society Facebook page we had a we were having a conversation about this the other day and somebody said, is it isn't Martin just just history like you know with fantasy thrown into it you know he's like he's doing kind of a middle-aged you know history of the Middle Ages. With a fantasy component, <laughs> thought, well, that's an interesting way of thinking of it. Actually.
2: Sort of. I mean, I, I I do think it's much more fundamentally world building than that. I mean, like I've you know I've 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 yeah, heard I arguments think- you know that are sort of trying to say that uh, you know the the Game of Thrones is essentially an allegory of the of the Wars of the Roses. Oh. Not exactly. I mean, it's Definitely. not like. You know, you know, really, you don't need to study the Wars of the Roses. Just read, you know, Song of Ice and Fire, and you'll, you'll, you'll have it. I mean, no, it's not like that. I mean, it's, 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 it's certainly, it's, it's, it's not as rigid as that. Certainly, there are many ideas that he's drawn from it, and many, and and even many sort of episodes or concepts um, that he's adapting from, you know, like based on a true story. But it's, um, you know,
1: he's 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 mining it for
2: material. But it's not like it's an allegory of the War of the Roses.
1: I mean, I remember Edison, who was, uh, he's, he was a contemporary of Tolkien's, wasn't yes, he? And the yes. worm, if I'm saying it right, the worm Ouroboros, or Ouroboros, Ouroboros I, yeah, I
2: think. Yeah. It's one of
1: those that I d- didn't ever know how to pronounce when I was younger, and then right. I'm doing it. <laughs> right. um, it was very much a similar sort of, you know, castle intrigue, military fantasy, factions, that kind of thing, um, if I'm recalling correctly, and that was written back in Tolkien's day. I mean, I would compare, I would, I think that's more comparable to Martin's work than than Lord of the Rings is
2: yes, but at the same time there's also um, you know getting and getting back uh, to the point that Andrew uh, McLaughlin was making. Um, I do think that one of the objection, one of the ways in which so many people, uh, so many fantasy writers, have tried to differentiate themselves from Tolkien um, is to be, uh, uh, as Andrew says, grim dark. Right, Uh, that is, you know, the dark fantasy because you know, uh, uh, in in in, the good guys win in Tolkien, and uh, you know, uh, good wins and evil is punished, Um, and a lot of you know modern people are like, oh, that's not realistic, Um, you know. To me, and this is what I was I was going to say before as well, the generic difference. Is a is a major thing, and I like Tom Tom Hillman's way of, of construing the sort of the the generic difference uh, between Tolkien and, and and Martin. But at the same time, uh, I think the just the whole fundamental like philosophical and spiritual outlook of the two works um, is to me a huge uh, um, a huge deal. Oh, yeah. This is one of the reasons why I I I, I basically pledged. A long time ago, in my classes, I, I sort of I got frustrated with conversations in, in, especially in the context of medieval and fantasy works, about realism. Um, and I, I got I, I, I it started off as it usually starts off with me getting sick of students saying something, um, and I and I was I was getting sick of students saying, but that's not realistic. And I found myself getting really frustrated with that. And when I got frustrated with that, I realized how often I used the word realistic when trying to describe something. Because basically the fundamental realization that I had is, look, describing something as realistic is not really saying something about the book. You're saying something about your own beliefs when you say that. Because it depends upon how what you believe reality is. Um, If you believe, uh, if you have the same spiritual and philosophical beliefs that Tolkien had, you will find The Lord of the Rings realistic. If you have the same beliefs that George R. R. Martin's books seem to embody, you will find that more realistic. Um, but it's 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 really a question of where like where what your own sensibilities are and what your own beliefs are. Um, the question of reality and what is reality is not as objective a question as it tends to be treated by people. Um so that it's, it's, it's and therefore I think a lot of a lot of sloppy thinking and a lot of uh, of kind of uh, you know people arguing at cross purposes happen around um, the that, that concept of realism.
1: Now you know there is one thing our, our other Andrew, our dressed up Andrew Higgins, points <laughs> yes. out, which I think is really true, and I think this is something I I almost think this is something that makes Tolkien very difficult to compare to any other writer because I I don't know of any other writer and you guys might, who has devoted so much of his life and has been so detail-oriented in a sub-creation as Tolkien's been. And and that alone makes... I mean, not only does it make the story rich and, and complex, but the amount of energy put into it, if you will. I, mm-hmm. I just don't know of any other writer that's done that.
2: No, I mean, you, most writers... I mean, again, Tolkien's there, right, as the model now. Um, so yes. I get into get and and I'm uh, sort of... And I don't mean to just sort of make uh, Gerer Martin, as you said, the uh, the the sort of you know the whipping boy of every comparison here. We could talk Rowling, or we could talk right. But 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 but, but here I'm I'm thinking of something. You know, when when the Game of Thrones first came out, and uh, people were talking about the Dothraki language, right? And you know, Martin sort of confessed. He's like, you know, like Tolkien's model, uh, sort of. suggests that, like, really big fantasy sub-creators should invent languages, right? I mean, like, if yeah. you have invented... And everybody wanted to, like, delve into the depth of the Dothraki language, but you know what? It doesn't have depth, like right. Quenya and Sindarin have depth. You know, yeah. you can you can not only do... You can not only learn to speak... Gwenya and Sindarin, in a sense, if you're willing to make up verbs, but you also can like study the entire philological history, or you know, uh, as Andrew Higgins might uh, uh, might argue, you could like write a whole doctoral dissertation on the history of Tolkien's languages and stuff. Um, That's, of course, what Andy Higgins is doing. But um, uh, so that kind of depth. I mean, a lot of modern. Using Tolkien as a model, there are a lot of modern writers who will sort of fake that, or if not fake it, even sort of, you know, going that way, but you go at it from the other end, right? In order to have a really mm-hmm. good sub-creation, a really thorough sub-creation, I need to invent a language. Okay, and if you do that, if you follow that through and really invent a language, that's pretty awesome. But you're still not going to get to where Tolkien was, because Tolkien's creation started with his languages, and the whole history and right. growth and, and, and sort of culture and and character of those languages... And the way that those languages themselves grew and developed over time becomes itself a kind of narrative, becomes itself a character, um, and and uh, and gives, in that way, a kind of life and uh, you know a, a, a particular, not just an extent of depth. You know, we're not talking about a quantitative difference, but a qualitatively different kind of depth uh, to stories, which you know, it's it's really hard to uh, to to. To duplicate and this is one of the reasons that um uh it's it's one of the reasons that um we uh when people ask me um you know what modern works do you think really compare to to tolkien and i usually just think they're fishing and hoping i'll say martin but um i <laughs> But my answer is usually like, you know, I I can't, I can never answer that. I never have a good answer to that question because there's nobody who's just like him. It's not to say that other people are all, you know, that, you know, I know it might sound like, hey, I'm the Tolkien professor. So, of course, I'm going to say Tolkien is like the god of fantasy and there will never be a writer like Tolkien, you know. (laughs) Um, I I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that, but, but I think it's perfectly fair to say there's never going to be another writer just like him. You know, um, that's actually kind of true of
0: everybody <laughs> in yeah. its own way. You're, and that's you're actually fine. Kind of doing, you're actually kind of doing those other authors a disservice by yes. doing that. Yes. Yes. Not, not Absolutely. They, not that they won't compare favorably, but because it creates expectations of their work that there may be inappropriate. Because what I heard Gurr Martin say once was, you know, people, yeah, people ask him this, apparently repeatedly ask him about, like, oh, you're going to tell us more of the language. And he's like, Uh, no, because there isn't any, I might make some (laughs) up if it come, you know, if, if I need a word, I'll make it up. But he's like, I'm not a linguist. Right. Tolkien was, that's what he was interested in. I have no interest in that. Right. Right. You know, and and I I I think
1: that's a really good point because there was a guest that Corey had on a podcast a couple of years ago and I don't remember his name and I don't necessarily want to because I didn't agree with what he was necessarily talking about so I don't I don't even want to remember what his name was but he was a guy who was who was expert sort of in war
2: military history yes
1: military history and his his criticism of tolkien I specifically remember it centering on the Helm's Deep battle and mm-hmm. Tolkien's description of Helm's Deep, and and my thinking through the whole entire criticism was, but that wasn't what Tolkien was interested in. Right. So I wouldn't expect him to write to that level of detail, that level of military detail. And I think that's true. What you're just saying, Dave, too, which yeah. is, you know, Martin apparently does have probably yeah, that level no, of it's... interest, but not in the linguis- linguistics. So yeah, you know, that's right. it's. It's apples to oranges, oftentimes. No,
0: I kind of, I kind of like that interview with that guy. Yeah, no, that was, your... <laughs> that
2: was, that was definitely interesting. But I mean, but I mean, it's, it's it is certainly true to say as you and you know as you're saying Tolkien's not interesting in this and, and and instead to say okay so what is he doing instead both of them have their virtues both of them do interesting things and it's not only a question of personal taste but also uh you know that is like some people really like military detail and sort of you know technical right. um you know like a, a story which really brings you through the 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 tactics of a battle i really enjoy that you know i mean it's funny because sometimes um when, when you know, historians, because history has been so focused on like royal history and military history for so long, you know, modern historians really sort of, re- you know, have have responded against that and are like, we don't want to just write histories about like you know the ebb and flow of the tides of battle. And I'm, I'm kind of like, but I actually really like that. Can we? Can can I, can I still have some of that? Oh, you know, every once in a while, please. Um, uh, but anyhow. Uh, so b- b- uh, but but but, but, but hang on wait. the point is that it's not just a question of personal taste. The point is that um to think about what each story is doing, not just to think about again like the the absence of of battle tactics of of battle tactical descriptions or the right. the comparative uh, uh, um, uh you know a uh, small number of them in tolkien to um to, so it, it, it's it's not just, oh, this Tolkien doesn't do this, but instead, what is Tolkien doing? You know, Um right. why was it that I found the Battle of Helm's Deep so stirring? Um And I always found, going back to the Battle of Helm's Deep, I was always surprised at how short it was and how few details there were. Because the Battle of Helm's Deep lived in my mind. As I said, I love battle tactics and I love thinking about this stuff. And I thought about it a lot. And I found the Battle of Helm's Deep really satisfying. But it wasn't because it was all described, right? And when I go back to it, there's not that much there. But I found in my own imagination, you know, I had fleshed out the Battle of Helm's Deep very, very much based on the outline that Tolkien gives and the the, the incidents that he described. You know, I found it to be deeply satisfying. And I find the Battle of Five Armies very similar. He gives enough detail for you to get a sense of the, the sort of the narrative shape of the battle, but he leaves mm-hmm. you the freedom to invest your own imagination in it or not. And that, right. I think, is right. a crucial point. Again, with yeah. George R. R. Martin, I am not free not to imagine these things. Right. Not yeah. at all <laughs> free. But now, with and, question... again, and, and that's a genre thing, right? That's, a, right. that's, that, that's, that's right. No, what novels do is really bring you in um, as if you're there it, you know, it, with something. And that's not what, you know, other more traditional genres, uh, you know, older genres did.
1: But let me ask also another difference. I'm at, oh, one point I wanted to make in in what you guys just said, which is back to that point of it does do the other authors injustice in, in to yes. try to compare them to Tolkien. I mean, I really do agree with that. The other thing though, I was wondering and with regard to Martin and I don't know because I haven't read the books, but does he, I mean, one key thing about Tolkien that I really honestly believe is the Consolation and recovery aspects that yeah. he that he realized finally as a result of you know that original lecture sort of then stimulated him to then flesh out the essay that came out in 50s which we know is on fairy stories today, but that consolation and recovery does Martin have that in his books?
0: No. Okay, no.
1: I didn't think so, and I didn't want to assert that he didn't because I hadn't read them, but I didn't get the impression that he did, and I do think that's
0: a constant abuse. it's
2: there just is no abuse cons- I always it. have to seek consolation from George R. R. Martin's books when I read them. That's that's what <laughs> yes. I, I mean. Like I seriously, like I, whenever I do read them, and I have, I've made it as far. I've 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 made it as far as the end of book three. That's when my stamina most recently gave out. Um, and and I always, as soon as I finish reading George R. R. Martin, I go back and like, like the last time I read books one, two, and three straight through. And I had to go back and like <clears throat> reread the entire Chronicles of Narnia afterwards just to like cleanse myself, you know, and to like oh. get myself back into a frame of mind. You know, like it's, it's, there is not any consolation. <laughs> I, have, I have found okay. no, I mean, I, in Tolkien's terms now, I, I, right. I find no consolation. Um, there is, there, there is, uh, even when good things happen, which does occasionally happen in George R. R. Martin's <laughs> books. Um, does um, you have to
1: learn to wait for the other shoe to drop with Martin?
2: Yes, so like always. Happens, yeah.
1: get, always. Yeah. Hard, yeah.
2: Always. If, if, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised at the end of Game of Thrones. Uh, spoiler alert, if people haven't read them. I was ple- pleasantly a, 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 a surprised when Rob won the battle at river run and beat and took Jamie <laughs> Lannister prisoner. I didn't expect that to happen. I was totally assuming that Rob was going to be killed horribly in the battle. And when he won and survived both, <clears throat> I was like, well, Hey, wow, that was cool. But of course, like for every, for every battle of river run, you know, you, you, you get a red wedding in, in, in George RR R. Martin. So, you know, it's no, there, <laughs> I have not found okay. that kind of consolation.
1: You know, and I mean, to, it, it, that's almost kind of like the fund, a fundamental difference between yes. the two that can kind of explain, certainly explains my sort of antipathy for reading the Game of Thrones series. So, yeah, anyway. yeah, no,
2: it's difficult. But let's, let's on the subject of yeah. console, we should probably get back, we to, go our, back to the well,
1: our, our, <laughs> You know, you know I, I had thought about pulling this back, but I must say... One of the reasons why uh, hopefully listeners listening today and also in the future will get value out of this because we actually have talked quite a bit about (laughs) topics already. (laughs) We (laughs) have, exactly. I don't think we're missing out on much. No,
2: and I think that this is... But but, I mean, I actually, I really think that this, uh, in its way, this is a very relevant conversation to have as we approach the Battle of Five Armies and thinking about um, how the film is going to be handling the Battle of Five Armies because one of the questions, and this is, you know, uh, uh, one of the questions, and Trish, you were asking this in our, in our, in our, in our notes for today's session. Um, How many new catastrophes are going to are going to happen, and how are they going to come about? In other words, to what extent? Is the film version of the Battle of Five Armies going to sort of follow in that spirit of the book? Now, obviously, one of the differences with film and story is that you have to you have to show things, right? You can't just be suggestive. You can't just be evocative. Um, it, you know, it goes back to the the, the thing that Tolkien was talking about in On Fairy Stories when he talked about drama, right? You know, he, you know, and uh, the illustration he gave where he says, you know, if when you're telling a story. You can simply use the word bread. You know, they ate bread. And the reader is free to imagine any very, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways in which bread can be and in which bread can look. Um, and their imagination is not tied to a particular, you know, but if you are doing a play, you have to have an actual incarnate loaf of bread on the stage, and therefore the imaginations of the viewers are restricted to what's actually there. Right? The same is true of film. Right? And, you know, so we can't, we can't just be like, I mean, unless something happens off stage, just with uh, exposition. That that'd be a, a great climax to the third film, wouldn't it? Be right? The Battle of Five Armies doesn't actually happen on screen. We just hear about it afterwards. You know, which of course is how half of the Battle of Five Armies happens in the book um but uh but generally you know you you actually have to show things on screen and so you have to make lots of choices which as a storyteller you don't have to make you're not at all compelled to make those choices um you don't have to choose the like uh, you know some of the details which are often left out in tolkien's books like people's hair color for instance often just not described you know what what exactly do they look like what are their you know the 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 detailed facial descriptions of particular people are very very rare in Tolkien you know we you know, don't like know like presence
1: or absence of wings right
2: <laughs> no no he's quite clear about that he's quite clear about that yeah no that's 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 a that's a that's a total non issue obviously but uh but no i mean like you know so the, the the kinds of things that you know that again in a novel would seem almost mandatory you know like What's Sam's face like? Sam have a big nose. We don't know. You know, like it's, it's, right. it's, it's not, it's not, it's, we're never told, right? We're told he has an honest face, right? And our imagination is left to fill in what that looks like, Um so
1: Robert, Robert Brown and Philip Lord both said pointed ears. I thought it was like, I thought it was a double entry, but no, no, it's two different people at the same right. time.
2: At the same time said pointed ears. Yeah, Presence exactly.
1: or absence of pointed
2: ears. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you have to make a choice in how pointed they are and what they look like exactly. Um, but anyway, um, so in the film, we're going to show this, which means already now there's going to be necessarily, um, you know, a difference. Between film depiction where you're actually going to be showing the battle and you're going to be showing, you know, depicting the violence, not just saying that the violence is happening, but actually, you know, depicting, you know, orc heads being uh, cut off and and and, uh, you know, and, and and dwarves being chopped up by orcs and everything else like this is going to happen on screen. So already we have a different situation brought about not necessarily by choices, though, again, choices will enter into it, but by genre. Right by by medium, um, mm-hmm. and but th- so then the question is, with the choices that they do have to make, are they going to how how are they going to stick to the spirit of you catastrophe? Because the Battle of Five Armies is the classic you catastrophic moment in Tolkien. I mean, it is the paradigmatic you catastrophe. The Eagles are coming is the paradigmatic you catastrophe uh, in Tolkien. Um. And, and it's not just that right we get several small you you catastrophe moments right leading up to that we get uh-huh. Thorin's charge we get the arrival of Bjorn which we only hear about later on and we get uh-huh. the Eagles um, are we going to get all of those things and to me more importantly are all of them going to be handled you catastrophically um, you know are we going to get those um, are we going to get that effect? Um, uh, Bjorn might be there. Is he just going to be there from the beginning and participate in the battle? Or are we going to have his arrival at the battle be a sudden uh, and sort of cataclysmic intervention? Is that how it's going to be handled? Is Thorin going to be forgotten about for most of the battle and then charge out unexpected? Or, or, you know, Once everyone has forgotten about him, throw down the gate and charge out in the middle? Is that how it's going to happen? Um, and the eagles. You know... Is the now? Of course, we've already gotten the arrival of the eagles, um, uh, and the arrival of the eagles. You know, the of course, I mean, in the book, both of the arrivals of the eagles are also, in their sense, you catastrophic. You know, both the, the the their their lives are suddenly saved by the eagles. Um, but um,
1: well, the eagles what do we arriving think? in the movie, the first arrival that we've seen with the eagles in the movie was not as you catastrophic as as it was in the book because we had the moth. You know, relaying Gandalf's message in the movie. Right, um, right. I guess one question would be: You know, are we going is, to? Is it going to be like that again, or are the eagles really going to truly be a u catastrophe in this movie? Um, I right. hope so. I hope they are. I don't want to see another moth relay, right. or even <laughs> any other bird or insect relay
0: from Gandalf man I don't I don't know if they'll do it though like I, I, they've shown demonstrated a, I know. Substantial, significant, or a substantial reluctance to have the eagles just show up I feel like every time they've been on screen an explanation has been provided
1: but at the end of Return of the King didn't they just show
0: I up I was just thinking that too we do have
2: that one example where yeah. they do just seem to show up at the end of the Would Return of the King be an interesting
1: par- parallel given that yes. it's kind of almost the same moment yes Hobbit.
2: yes Yes, you start off by moth, and then the eagles take initiative at the yes. end. Um, yeah, it would be exactly the same pattern. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, good. Uh, Brian Biggs was just pointing that out that we did get they did get the u-catastrophic arrival of the eagles right in the Return of the King. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. And uh, Yana was 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 also pointing that out. Um, yeah, I, I. My prediction is that the ego arrival will be you catat- catastrophic. I do think we're going to get that. The one, the you catastrophe I am most, or the, you know, the sort of the you catastrophic moment I am most uncertain about or least confident in for the film is Thorin's. I don't think they're going to do that with Thorin. Um, because in order to, I mean, in order to do it just like the book, he'd have to be a non-participant in most of the battle. Um, and the other thing that I'm thinking, as far as the narrative structure of the film is concerned, especially mm. since I am presuming that the Battle of Five Armies is going to give us a a climactic fight between Thorin and Azog, um, I am, I am um, assuming that the the sort of the narrative structure of the Battle of Azanulbazar, as it was given to us in film one, um, is going to be relevant to the Battle of Five Armies. Um, you know, that, that, that we already have sort of an anticipation of this. Um, and to what extent, and it, not that it's necessarily going to follow exactly the same model, but, um, but I suspect that the Battle of Azanulbazar was a deliberate setup for what's going to happen in the Battle of Five Armies. Not quite sure exactly mm-hmm. how that's going to work, yeah, but I yeah. would expect that to be true. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and again, and just to, 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 to summarize a little bit more what I mean by that, the, the narrative shape of the Battle of Azanul Bazaar in film one was you know the the dwarves fight valiantly but then they come near to disaster um you know and then you know thorin has his you know um come from behind uh uh you know moment where he heroically turns the tide of the battle by his stroke of individual courage um that still is, in its way, a kind of anticipation for a U-catastrophic intervention on Thorin's part. I mean, you could almost say that his dismemberment of Azog acted like a kind of eucatastrophe catastrophe in the Battle of Azanulbazar. Um, but, uh, but that's different. You see, I mean, it's different when <clears throat> the thing about the thing about. A, you could, uh, you know, uh, the, the kinds of things that I'm calling you catastrophic here, is they need to be sort of sudden and external, right? It can't just be like, uh, you know. A boxing match in which one guy is kind of winning most of the time and then the guy who's been losing the whole battle like rears back and like knocks the guy out unexpectedly with a you know a perfectly timed blow to the head um and therefore he comes from behind and unexpectedly wins that's not a catastrophe. that's an upset but it's not a eucatastrophe right. um so in this way i wouldn't really character- characterize thorin's actions in the battle of Asenol Bazaar is you catastrophic. It was an upset, but it wasn't a you um, Although
1: Brian Ray- Biggs does point out that the oak log at Asenol Bazaar could have been you <laughs> the,
2: <laughs> the intervention of the log, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> nah, that was just the instrument of his uh, of his uh, of his upset. And by the way, I still haven't come to grips with the. Symbolic significance of Thorin uh, losing, losing his Oaken Shield. Um, yeah. Unless, actually, come to think of it, I've totally forgotten to think about that this year. Unless we see that as the first stage of Thorin's losing it, basically. that—that oh. that basically what we are seeing in his speech to Kiwi on the docks at at Lake Town. You know, his—you've uh, got to learn that a real king like, can't Keeley. let. Uh, Phoewe, yeah, yeah, to Fili. That you know, a real king can't let uh you know, like uh the, the good of one dwarf stand in the way of the greater objective. Um if um real
0: kings also don't
2: carry around logs. <laughs> that could hey man, nice true epic kings carry around logs, okay? Like that's perfectly okay. <laughs> Don't discriminate against log carrying kings. Are you some of like anti log carrying bigot over here, Dave? Like you're saying real kings
0: <laughs> can't carry logs? No, I was just following your line of logic.
2: <laughs> no. That is not my line of logic at all. The point is that um that basically he he has begun like his his losing his oaken shield there, which was the moment when he became. A king. Remember that was how Bowen characterized it. That was the moment when I knew, like, this was a king that I would follow. He's lost that. Like, this is this is like the beginning of, of Thorn losing his uh, way. I and think that, you're
1: being really benevolent. To he's Jackson not going to
2: regain his beginning. identity at the end. Hey, look, it's not about Jackson, man. It's about the movie. I don't care if he intended it or not. I didn't ask his opinion. I'm telling him what's there. This is always my opinion about authors. You know, he, I don't care if he intended it. That's right. If it it's, makes a good the, actually,
1: story. It's the it's the un, the unthought the the unthought about stuff that
2: is <laughs> Exactly. You know? It's about meaning, not about intention.
1: Well, that's right.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> anyway. Okay, okay, okay.
1: That, that's actually a good start for a paper, you know, post post film. Yeah? Um, yeah. I agree. That could,
2: it, I agree. Maybe. Now, I, as soon as I saw that at the end of the first film, I was like there's a lot here but I still have to think about that a lot more. Like I, I, you know, as, as soon as I saw the slow-mo shot of, the, of, of his oaken shield falling to the ground, I was like, that's very meaningful. I don't yet know what it means, but that's very meaningful.
1: Well, I had the same thought, and was in fact surprised there was absolutely no mention whatsoever of the, of the shield in the second movie. I mean, I was surprised given yeah. how yeah. much focus there was on, on it in the first movie. Well, it's a
2: sensitive subject. Nobody wants to bring it up. <laughs> Nobody you wants know, to be bring like, it up
1: around Thorin.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, did you guys see how Thorin totally dropped his, I guess we can't call him Thorin Oakenshield anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: But don't say that to his face. Yeah, exactly.
2: Ixne on the Oaken Shield. On yeah, um, the Oaken yeah. Shield,
1: eh?
2: hey, hey, yeah. How um, do you do I'll Pig say. Latin with a with a word that sounds with starts with a vowel, by the way. I don't even know. Well, you could do Oakenay
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, anyway, um Hey, 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 hey. Yeah. Did you consider the possibility that the Eagles went back and retrieved it.
2: So when the eagles arrive, they drop, they drop it, his they shield to her. It. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. No. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's like identity you you catastrophe. Yeah.
0: That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So so that's the that's the moment that that's that will be uh Thorin's heroic redemption moment when when the uh, shield falls out of the sky and he catches it and he remembers the king he should be. Yes, Thorin is reunited with his log. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and then you see, you know, it totally makes sense that he would be buried, you know, with his log and his stone. Yes,
2: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> He's got his log beneath his feet and the Arkansas. stone on his breast. not meant to be
1: symbolic of
2: anything in particular. No, exactly. Well, please let's not get Freudian on this.
1: <laughs> or or Chosarian.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. His um, stick
1: and his stone.
2: Yes, exactly, exactly um sometimes a log is so just a log we? but anyway this yes like by all means long. let us go, let us let us get but we're at eucatastrophe so so thorin yeah basically my my fundamental skepticism about thorin is catastrophe in the film is that i don't think they're just going to keep him on the sidelines for that long i mean i which which again which happens most of the battle happens while thorin is not participating in the book and that that's right. what i can't imagine in the film
1: well, by the way, we ha- as far as you we haven't talked about Diane, Dane, Dane, whatever, however you pronounce his name. Um, he- his arrival is likely, don't you think, to be catastrophic in the movie? I mean, we may know he's coming, but they won't know he's coming, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, that that is a really good question. It is possible that the arrival of the dwarves will be you catastrophe mid battle kind of thing. Right, that's possible. Um,
1: turn the tide, kind of thing.
2: Right, I. I tend to think not. The primary reason I think not is that, first of all, I think we're going to want Diane and stuff there to ratchet up the tension pre-battle, so oh, that pre-battle. you okay. know we, we have
1: be right before the battle.
2: Yeah, so that we have you know we can have either an actual battle, especially since I believe I predicted that the, the an actual battle was going to be joined between the elves and dwarves before the other battle. So I, 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 I'm I'm now obligated to say that I think that Dan is going to be there uh, in advance. But um...
1: see, I was thinking he might be more like the Rohirrim on the Pelennor Fields. You know, where... Yeah. Yeah. Show up
2: yeah, I movie. don't think so. I but I could see basically Bjorn playing that role. Um ah, yeah. uh you know, Bjorn being the functional equivalent of the uh entire army of the Rohirrim. Um that uh basically as I was
1: Bjorn may be more like the Corsair ship. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Right. Uh yeah, exactly. Um so just as they see the black sails coming and, and, uh, and tragically and ironically despair at the sight, so other people are going to see an enormous monstrous bear approaching and believe that that's a bad thing, when in fact it's going to turn out unexpectedly to be a good thing. Yeah, I, I, I see the parallel. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, <laughs> but basically, as with the Rohirrim, their, their advent to the battle... Had a catastrophic element, definitely. I mean, yes. you know, it's, but, but it's, it's, it doesn't determine the outcome of the battle, right? You right. know, in the end, right. it's not the deciding factor. Right. And that's the same is true of Bjorn, right? Bjorn arrives and he's the one who kills Bolg, who kills the general of the, of the, right. of the opposing army, but his arrival is not what is decisive.
1: It's eucatastrophic in the sense of putting heart back into the. Yes. into Yes. The- Yes, the combatants, kind of.
2: Yep, yep. You know, um, um,
1: um yeah. You know, one of the things, this might, I might be off, sliding off topic a bit here, but about Thorin. You know, we were just joking about, you know, the log may fall from the eagle for the eagle, and he'll remember his kingship. In the book, anyway, doesn't Thorin pretty much stay? Crazy Thorin, up until the time he gets his fatal wound, isn't it the deathbed situation that kind of turns his? Well, it's
2: hard because of course, like nobody like sits down for a heart-to-heart with Thorin while he's charging <laughs> onto true. the battlefield. So, like, um,
1: <laughs> we don't really know for yeah, sure. Yeah,
2: but my personal we have
1: no man on the street with a microphone.
2: Exactly mother. <laughs> right. Yeah, sadly, it was not the modern era where like every climactic <laughs> event is interrupted by niggling sideline reporters who come and ask you inane questions in the moment. You know, to ruin More the enough. moment. You just won the battle of five armies. Yeah, well, exactly. Oh, well, exactly right yeah we, we, i mean surely we would have had uh, you know interviews with the generals on each sideline during the middle of right. the battle so that yeah no um, sadly we did not have these advantages uh back you know in, in these stories but um uh it is my interpretation that Thorne's amendment happens then um i do now happens I, I, Happens battle, at his charge, yes. That when oh, okay. he th- okay. that could, and 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 the, my my primary reason for this, for saying that is what seems to me the very important symbolic fact of the throwing down of the wall. Oh, um, right, right, right. They didn't have to do that. You know, they could have just jumped down or climbed down nobody was really paying attention to them so you know the, the dwarves could have could have climbed scaled down with ropes and stood there you know and, and and formed themselves up and then charged right but the throwing down of the wall because that wall block because the gates of the king um, play a really important um, uh, role you know symbolically in the story you know that that it's an important emblem of the right. the kingdom of of Erebor, um, in the Hobbit And therefore, the fact that Thorin has bricked up the gates of the king... Um, And the way in which the bricking up of the gates of the king seems to me a very appropriate uh, sort of outward manifestation of Thorin's attitude at that time. You know, the way in which he is stonewalling, you know, Bard, even when Bard's claims are quite just um, and his his uh, his his claims upon Thorin um, are are very reasonable. And yet Thorin will have nothing to do with it. He is showing, uh, uh, you know, he is showing an attitude which is the opposite. Of, you know, the former kings of the, you know, at the gates, the king awaits, you know, they, the dwarves sing in their, in their revised song. Um, but we don't get, in fact, a king who is waiting at the gates, um, you know, whose hands are rich with gems and gold. Instead, we get a king who has blocked out the gates and refuses right. to deal any gems and gold to anybody. Right. And that's antipathetic to what the king is supposed to be. So when he throws right. down the wall and he charges out and says, to me, elves and men, to me, oh, that's my kindred. That's the
1: that Kate says, too, is that he's also calling to the elves and men, not exactly. just to the dwarves. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So that just- now, now, you know. The the actual speech he delivers to Bilbo, I think you know th- there may be some things that he's only really realizing and processing there on his deathbed, but um, but I, I but I feel that the turn in his character happens. At Do you the think moment we'll get another
1: quotable out. like? But this that is not this day speech. speech like speech from Gave, Thorin. From Thorin. <sighs> that can be turned into a meme for years to come.
2: Um, I can see that. And if not from Thorin, then from whom? Um, Bard?
1: Bard, maybe. I don't Toriel? See else doing. Toriel. Actually, oh Legolas.
2: yeah, no, wait, no, no, Toriel. Hang on, hang with me here. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Miss, this is our fight. Uh, she's the one with the best big picture pep talk. I mean, her speech to Legolas is the closest thing we've gotten to that in any of the films. She's the one who of all of the characters in the story has been the only one who has both sort of seen the big picture and been outspoken. It's basically like mm-hmm. Toriel, Gandalf, and Bilbo have been the three characters who are able to like see outside their own personal um, you know, mm-hmm. interests. Right. Um, and that's what has differentiated them. Um, Bil- the, the, the main difference between Toriel and Bilbo is that Bilbo doesn't speak it out. You know, he, he, he's right. rarely had that moment. It's one of the reasons that his speech um, at the end of the first film, both of his speeches, um, well, now primarily the speech that he gives right after they're reunited on the side of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why that speech is really significant in that first film, because he doesn't talk like that. He doesn't talk much at right. all. Um, whereas Toriel does. She's outspoken. And so, 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 so yeah, so don't laugh. I actually think Toriel's a good candidate for somebody who, uh, who, who, who actually speaks out the thing that everybody else needs to hear. Um, yeah, I I could, I could, I could see that.
1: Uh, The other thing is she could infect Keeley and Keeley could do the speech. I mean, I personally like the idea of Tariel doing it, but I'm just, you know, trying to think of other possibilities, but yeah, I mean, like Tom Hillman says, Tariel will deliver the Agincourt speech. For the dwarf that sheds his blood with me today shall be my brother, be he never so short. (laughs) 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 Tom, you are on fire today. Tom Melman is on fire today.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. Yes. Yeah, though I suppose that Toriel can't exactly deliver the, like, shall count his manhood cheap or a uh, line either. <laughs> That's right, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> for, really, for two reasons. I mean, her talking about manhood would be doubly inappropriate, I suppose.
1: Now, you know, another person who could do it, because we have talked about him having a change of heart, is Thranduil, but I personally don't see that. I just, Even with a change of heart, I don't really
2: see No, even with this change of heart, I don't that. see him delivering a speech. No, no. Um,. It's not really the speech-making kind. No. Yeah, no.
1: Anyway, well, I'm hoping we do get some kind of, like, rally-to-the-troops speech prior.
2: Yeah. I think what's more likely, though, again, given the build-up, given the fact that we're still, in one way or another, kind of expecting the Battle of Five Armies to happen suddenly... Um, I mean, there was an option for the non-sudden beginning of the Battle of Five Armies. You know, that is, they have full warning of the goblin army and and are bracing themselves for, a, for, 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 for the defense. In that right. case, right. we could have the opportunity for somebody to, you know, ride down the line like Théoden and deliver a speech. But if the orcs just come upon them unexpectedly, or if they're in the middle of fighting each other, um, yeah, there's not an opportunity for somebody to make a speech like that. However... Um, there's plenty of time there's there, what I would see instead would be a speech delivered from one character to another in the middle of a battle. Yes, um, yes. not yeah. like an oration, of course, but but for there to be a significant exchange or a significant you know quote uh, emerging from that kind of a, uh, from that kind of an environment.
1: Now, don't help me with with something okay vir- virtually. I hate to bring it up again because we've talked about it so much, but where do you think the Arkenstone's going to be in all this? I mean, do you think it'll be in somebody's pocket and just kind of like forgotten about during the battle? Or,
2: Well, it, my thought is yes, unless the magical potency of the ah, Arkenstone right. that is probably going to be revealed in the third film is relevant in some way.
1: That's a conundrum, by the way, Dave. That you'll be answering when we do the review.
2: Yes. Did, does mm-hmm. the Arkham
1: prove Actually, to have some like kind of have
2: magical powers?
1: Magical powers.
0: Yeah.
2: No.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll put you down. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I
1: think didn't you and I both say no? Or I think we both said yes. Didn't we, I Harry? said
2: yes? Yeah, I said yes yeah. to that. I do think that it's going to end up having I magical heard. powers. That
0: that's that was a that was more of a that was a. That, that was, was a wish fulfillment. As dancer? much on hope, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. That's In fact, yeah. that's based driven primarily by hope. Yes, yes. That was that yeah. was let's say. Oh no, I don't think it'll have magical powers <laughs> No, please come on. Yes. No, please don't have magical
1: powers. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so if so if that's the case then it could actually figure in the battle in some way, huh? Like a like a He Man thing, you know, when he lifts his sword and says I am the power I mean, By the power like of Grace Gull, you know? yeah. By
0: the power of Grace Gull, that's by the way, let's stipulate that that holding it up and having all the dwarves get really excited and motivated and fighting that harder doesn't, power? doesn't count. It doesn't count magic Yeah. No.
1: But a bat signal that brings Diane in could be magical, right? Yes. Like a bat signal,
0: kind of, you know, a dwarf signal. Wait, are we (laughs) talking... I think we also have to suss out the details of magical. Is it magical in sort of mystical powers, or is it magical in sort of magitechnical powers, like like a walkie-talkie or a bat signal?
1: Well, actually, I think I brought up, at some point, didn't I say something about how it could be a Palantir? Oh, no. Yeah, I did. Yeah,
2: you did. Did Um, No, I... The, in the magitechnical sense, Dave, that is not just magical in the sense that it is like you know wondrous and mythic and you know, oh, right. yeah. but but like it actually does something. stuff. Yeah, it
0: functions. It
2: functions. It yeah. it has some kind of function. Which function occurs by magic? Yes, exactly. Ah,
0: I, I still say no, but yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, Interesting. I do think I think that our best chance for um for you catastrophe for for like I. I, I I suspect that Bjorn is going to happen much like it does in the book. I think we're going to get a, a book answer with Bjorn. Um, the one wild card there is his connection to Dol Guldur, if any. Um, well, right. no, we know he has some connection. We have we have the... Unfortunately, innocent- we also
1: know that Gandalf won't be riding him to battle because we've already seen Gandalf riding that riding horse. Riding that horse,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, which is now for sale. Um, uh, they, We, we, we yeah we have the unassailable authority of the Lego set to demonstrate that, that Bjorn is going to be involved in Dol Guldur in some sense. Um, but uh, we, <laughs> but that, you know, so, so we, but, yeah, we have to keep that in mind. Um, but um, I have to admit, I am so, I, I, I am so excited about the Lego Sets this year that I've been like actually watching the Lego sites when waiting do they for come them. To be, I don't know, yeah, man. But I, there's popcorn. nothing more. You know, trailers are cool and everything, but I'm looking forward to the Lego release of sets. the new Lego sets much more yeah. than I'm looking forward to the to the release of the uh, of the trailers. <laughs> Maybe at Comic
1: Con, Dave, keep an eye out for Lego sets.
2: Yeah, if you see anything that Comic you have to at least send us good pictures. Definitely. Yeah. 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 If not, if not, actual Legos. Oh, better. That's hey, better. actual Legos. It would be even better. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. Okay, so um, we should uh, we should I suppose move towards our riddle uh, because we've been, oh, shoot. we've kind of gone long here. It's
1: been such an excellent yeah. lecture on you know other things than just the Hobbit,
0: <laughs> right? Yes, we, we've been we've been mired in mired in um, uh, um, the philosophy in of yeah. fiction
1: writing.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Okay, so our big the big question is you know the big question we've been beating you know we've been sort of beating around this for a long time is who dies in the Battle of Five Armies and let me say right at the outset anybody who receives a mortal wound in the battle and dies afterwards counts okay so Thorin still getting a deathbed scene afterwards still counts as dying at the Battle of Five Armies let's not That's we're result, not we're, but... we're not getting into into hair splitting here um, so uh, so okay. So our so first before we do the riddle, because um, our 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 riddle is going to be about dwarf deaths in particular. So before we get to dwarf deaths, let us address non dwarf deaths, um, and uh, the primary questions there obviously are elf related. Um, Toriel, is Toriel going to die?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. yes I think she is yeah
2: I think I started predicting her death about five minutes after I discovered her existence so <laughs> yes! I have to remain <laughs> consistent with that um, uh, but uh, um, but yeah I think that I think that I think that she's gonna I, I, I think she's gonna die um, and I don't think this for um, I think that arguments, in favor of the death of a character based entirely on like consistency reasons, like, well, Toriel wasn't around in The Lord of the Rings, so she has to die. That's There's some legitimacy to those arguments, but I find them kind of weak. Like, that's not a good reason for her to die. She needs a good reason within the context of this story to die in the Battle of Five Armies. Um, and I think that that reason exists. I think the reason exists for... Um, for the effect that it's likely to have on Legolas and the way in which the role in which that can play, the role which that can play in his own growth. But of course, how awful is it to say, like, the important thing about Toriel's death is the effect that she has on Orlando Bloom, but rather um, <laughs> that uh, for, for her own sake, for the role that she as a character is playing in this story, there is an extent to which her death is the final expression of the speech that she was giving. Uh, to Legolas, you know, uh, uh, on that little ayat or whatever, wherever they were uh, in film one. Um, that is to say, to to show that she is she is willing to you know to give her life uh, f- in this cause that she has been that she has been arguing. Um, that there's a way in which her death on the battlefield, I think, is going to give a kind of authenticity to the the argument that she's been making, which is obviously. Um, been been shown to be countercultural to the elves, um, and I think that her death on the battlefield is sort of going to be the final, um, uh, the final sort of demonstration that she's right and they're wrong. Basically, you know, cool. uh, you know. And, and so and, so anyway, right. so so that's why I think I think within this the context of this story, her death has the opportunity to be really very meaningful. Um, and then you add the fact that Kiwi's likely to die too, so then we'll get like a, you know, the, the sort of star-crossed and never, you know, f- never, never fully consummated in a literal or figurative sense relationship between Kiwi and Torio, um, uh, you know, and, and and the two of them dying on the battlefield. This this, uh, I think, is something that could really work well in several ways.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I could see her her death um, being the final turning point for Thranduil and Legolas in terms of joining the war.
2: Yes, yes, or maybe they go in opposite directions. Yeah, because, of course, it's possible to respond to it and to say, see, this proves her wrong, right? This is exactly why I'm an isolationist. Ah. Thank you very much. i um, <laughs> uh, so I mean I it, it's conceivable that maybe Thranduil never changes and maybe in fact this whole experience hardens him and he goes and he goes back and he's like well that's the last time I ever leave this cave again um,
0: right
2: I, I doubt it but I could see that I mean I think that, that it's, it's, it's a kind of narrative that you know that functions you know that would make sense um, but uh, anybody else um, any other non-dwarves Besides Toriel, that you think has a has a has a good chance of dying on the
0: battlefield? But can we are we are we uh, does our scope of of deaths con uh, consider Smaug's attack? Because I'm I'm sure. definitely thinking a Bard daughter or two.
2: A Bard daughter yeah, or two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking that too. Um, just to to you know, thinking again like I was saying what Tolkien does in the book, the way that he goes out of his way to um to sort of make the the disaster, you know, the, the the human cost of the destruction of Esgaroth really hit home. Um the most powerful way to do that in the film, I believe, would be would be with uh with with a dead daughter, absolutely.
0: Yeah. But we, I guess we should focus on Battle of Five Armies today. I do, you know, I do also think Radagast is not long for the world, but I don't think that'll happen at Battle of Five Armies. No, Saruman's already
2: be... killed him at the Battle yes. of Gondor. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> I'm kind of wondering. I sort of feel like the the Master and or Alfred, um, but again, not sure whether that'll be Battle of Five Armies, Smaug's attack, or yeah. starving in the wilderness. Um, pointing elf. I think he's in trouble.
2: (laughs) You're saying you you wouldn't be selling a life insurance policy to Pointing Elf right now?
0: No. Yeah.
2: No. uh... (laughs) Yeah. I hear you.
0: I hear you. Pointing
1: Elf, the red shirt of the Hobbit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, But, yeah, um, you know, maybe you also... In terms of named characters, I think um, I think. How about Alfred? You know, Do we think Alfred, Azog, and or Bolg? Yes. Oh, um,
1: hopefully yeah,
0: both Alfred, of those. Uh, Alfred again. Alfred and and the Master. I, I guess I'm not sure. I feel like one or the other, or maybe both, will both die. But I'm not. Sure, but I, I don't. I don't I'd be skeptical if they were actually in the battle. It's I'm hard to imagine sure Alfred yeah. anywhere near the battle.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean. Um, yeah, he doesn't really seem like a, I'm going to put on armor and join the ranks kind of guy.
0: <laughs> unless, unless it was some sort of, you know, where sort of Bard and his new followers like put, you know, like compel him, like sort of, you know, that they, he, he's like at the front of the army marching toward the mountain with somebody behind him jabbing him in the in the back with the uh, spear keep moving there alfred right you're going in first <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> alfred um, is a one-man
2: cannon fodder of the of the army yeah of Lake I,
0: that's the only that's the only circumstance under yeah. which you could reasonably expect him to be to go near the battle
2: agreed yeah agreed um, um yeah no i don't think um and i don't expect by the way i don't expect the field to be littered with named corpses I mean, I, I don't expect yeah. that to happen.
0: I mean, I do expect it to be littered with corpses. Oh,
2: yeah, plenty of corpses. And of course, you know, several named characters die in the book, so, I, you know, that's going to happen. But, um, but I, I, I don't think we're going to be killing. And, and frankly, there aren't too many other good candidates. I mean, Bard needs to live, Bard's son needs to live. Uh, the Elven King really does need to live because he's, he's referred I mean, he's still there, uh, later on. Legolas obviously needs to live. Um, uh, you know, so uh, there's, there's Bilbo needs to live. So this, you know, Gandalf needs to live. There's, 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 there's not that many options for people who, um, who others who would die. Um.
1: Are we but. saving? Are we talking about the Dwarves of Erebor yet, or? Well,
2: let's go ahead and transition to that. I wanted to make sure we, 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 we sort well, of went uh, on record with I'll the Toro question. Okay.
0: Can uh, we do can Dine's we do orcs live, Can we do orcs really fast?
2: Yeah, let's do orcs really yeah. fast.
0: Yeah, Azog and Bolg. Not even sure if they'll even make it. it.
2: The, they'll <laughs> even make it to the battle.
0: Yeah, yeah, they might die before then. But yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, th- that that I think is one of the details about which I'm least clear. Who, which of them is going to be there, and who's going to be in charge of what, and leading which army? And yeah, Azog
2: was put in charge of the army, so presumably that's going to put him in the you know in the captain's role in in the battle itself. Yeah. Um, you know we're, we've been sort of assuming we're going to get a climactic battle between Thorin and Azog. Um, this, of course, would be an interesting riddle on its own. Who kills Azog? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, or didn't we already have this riddle once? Or do we just talk about it? Yeah,
1: um, we the very our very first riddle was was is Azog going to die in the battle? And who I mean, or who kills Azog? I who think
2: kills Azog? Yeah, because yeah. um, because uh, of course the book answer is Dan, which is still actually a right. live possibility in an yeah, utterly yeah. different context. Um. <laughs> but um but you know there's 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 Thorin there's Bilbo there's um because I do think Bilbo is going to play a more significant role and again we had the setup of Bilbo coming in and saving Thorin's life when Azog was about to kill him um you know in the out of the frying pan scene so um you know that could be that could be an anticipation of something that's going to happen in the battle of five armies um we could have uh Bjorn of course in in one in in a different sense Bjorn would be the book answer, right? That Bjorn comes in and kills the, the you know, the 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 leader in general of the Orc armies. So if that's Azog, Bjorn killing Azog would also in a different sense be the book answer. Um, mm-hmm. so that I don't expect, by the way. I don't expect Bjorn to come in and climactically kill a named Orc. Um, I think he's gonna come in and his intervention is going to be pivotal. But I don't f- expect him to be the one who comes in out of left field and kills Azog. Um, maybe Bolg. I could see him killing
1: Bolg. Yeah, which would be a book answer. We, and we did talk about. I think maybe it was within the context of the of that episode, we talked about you know what what might be the uh, configuration of how Thorin gets his fatal wound. You know, and we'll, uh, we and we've talked about I think before. I think in, in this riddle we talked about, and I think Corey, you were the one that argued for you felt that Thorin needed to be the one. Killing Azog, um, as opposed to being helped by, you know, other people.
2: I kind of do. Th- well, when I think about the effect of, you of your mind. yeah, well, I mean, I might, but I don't know. And when I think about the effect of it, um, the fact is, we're going to, you know, I, I assume he's going to die, and we're going to get a deathbed scene. But at the same time, the the sort of conversion moment of Thorin. His actions in the battlefield have to demonstrate this, you know, and I feel like there has to be a certain amount of closure to his actions on the battlefield. Um, right. And for that reason, I would kind of lean towards that. We can save some more. We we'll be talking about Thorin next time, so um, yeah. We we can we can kind of save a little bit of this and maybe even come back to the Azog question some in the context of next week talking about Thorin. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, I'm not. I I I agree with you, Dave. I don't feel at all clear on what is the logical sort of destiny of, uh, um, of those characters, of the orc right. characters. Yeah. That is,
0: yeah. Um, in some sense, it's in some sense I'm dead certain they will both die. Right. Right. <laughs> like that seems incontrovertible. But yeah. By, but under what circumstances and by whom, by whose hand, I, I really have no clear idea. Right. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, uh, okay, so we should we should launch the riddle now. Let's talk about dwarves. Oh, okay. um, yep. So okay, so our, our riddle it was complicated making a five option riddle for you know the who dies question because there's so many possibilities. Um, but focusing on airboard, let me I, I want to try to explain sort of the narrative concept here. Um, my goal with the riddles is not just to make the, rivul, the, the riddles trivia questions, but to have them be narrative questions, story questions. You know, the question is, what kind of story do you think is going to be told? How is the story going to go? And so the, to sort of, sort of summarize this, because if I just read them all out as they are, it's going to be a little, I'll do that too, but it's going to be a little confusing. So let me explain first the narrative concept of these answers. Um, book A is the book answer, as always. So Th- Thorin, Feewee, and Kiwi die. Um uh B C uh, uh, um B uh, there so 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 okay, there are really four fundamentally different story options. One is the book answer. The second is the dwarf count the dwarf body count is gonna be increased. Peter Jackson is gonna to choose to ratchet up the death toll among the, the dwarves of Erebor. Option C, possibly
0: even up to the level of the cartoon.
2: Possibly even exactly that—that's <laughs> the choice that the Rankin Bass film made when they killed off six or seven of the of the of the dwarves uh, in the Battle of Five Armies. Um, option C is he's going to reduce the body count. Thorin's still going to die, but he's not going to kill off Feely and or One or both of them are going to survive, um, and uh, um, so you know fewer than three dwarves die. D is, because is, 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 we have to have this as an option, Thorin lives. He does not, in fact, choose to kill off Thorin. And and for option D, I don't care who else dies. If all 12 of the other Thor- dwarves die and Thorin lives, <laughs> D is the correct answer. Uh, because, again, here the pivotal thing is, is he going to make the narrative, the monumental narrative choice to leave Thorin alive at the end of the film? If he makes that choice, the answer is D. Um, Uh, And then E is none of the above. So E is where we accommodate some kind of combination. Like, say, for instance, if Thorin dies, (laughs) Feely lives, but Bofur and Dwalin both die, that would be E. So we get extra dwarves die, but Feely lives, therefore the answer is E. So, again, so A... And Dory usurps the throne. And Dory usurps the throne, exactly. So, so 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 again, A, book answer, everybody knows that. B, more dwarf deaths. C, fewer dwarf deaths. D, Thorin lives. E, none of the above, some other combination.
0: Those are our so, options. So, um, so, so,
2: uh, um... Uh, and, and I do mean dwarves in the company. We're only talking
0: about the 13 here. Dan yeah. doesn't count. So dwarves aren't Just the thirteen dwarves. Yeah. So I think I think um, yeah. Really, the only person, as Andrew McLaughlin points out, the only person, at least using um, uh, Lord of the Rings film continuity as our guiding light, the only person we can confidently, the only two people we can confidently say won't die, are uh, Glowin and Balin. Right. Right. And I don't remember if they mentioned Bofur and the... But but we know but we have evident, we know Glowin must have... Oh, arrive. and must No, actually, oh. Glowen already had a... Glowen's already had Gimli. Gimli's already... If so, Gimli's Glowin's around, Glowin's yeah. Glowen's also fair. Glowen to is totally superfluous. No, no, we, totally him. No, no, we saw it's him at point. the... Yeah, but we didn't know that we
2: saw oh, him. Oh, no, don't we see him? Yeah, but we don't know that we're seeing yeah, that's him. that's true. We yeah, just saw it's, him. He's not introduced by name. Um, so I, I, I don't I, yes. I, I don't feel that Jackson is bound by consistency with the Fellowship of the Ring film to keep Glowin alive. Now, again, in, in the book,
0: no, yeah, I the mean, all, the only person, yeah, the only person he has yeah. to keep alive is Balin because we see his corpse or see his, his tomb. tomb in yes, <laughs> in Moria.
2: Yes, exactly, exactly.
0: Um, yeah, um, yeah, but but several people also did ask the question. Just I, I don't think this is a crucial point to the to the delineation of the riddles but sort of what do you imagine happens with Diane if um keely or feely lives well i would have to assume i mean we'd have
2: to assume he doesn't become king so i mean yeah it's it's the the question of the succession that's one of the reasons why i think um option c option c is not just a choice to kill off fewer people but it's also the choice it's, it's 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 going to have significant consequences because right. if Feeli or King live, we have an heir.
1: Again, Jackson isn't required to stick to the books in that regard nope. because no mention is name made of Erebor or the or the El, you know, right. in, in, in Lord of the Rings movies.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So so you know, and and it's yeah. There's there's no. I don't think there's any external compulsion upon him to prevent Feeli from becoming king, for instance. Right. Um, personally, yeah. I still think that, that Keeley is, is doomed for death, primarily because <laughs> of his relationship with Toriel. I mean, like it's, yeah. it's like the two of them dying on the battlefield is, is, is pretty much the only kind of happily ever after they can have, um, well, happily, very briefly, uh, is not is different from happily ever after, I suppose, right. but, um, and
1: we've been told that it's a pretty, it's a pretty tear jerky. Yeah. If I recall yeah. right from the interview so far.
2: Yeah, so no, I mean, I, I definitely, um, I definitely, I definitely do think that um, he's, I mean, I think Keeley's survival is deeply unlikely, but Feely especially with the setup that we have drawing attention to the fact that Feeley is his heir, um, right. that's not even mentioned in the book, by the way, until like after their deaths. I mean, nowhere does it say like, you are my heir and you shall take over from me. Like, there's no sense of like Thorin grooming Feeley um, in the book. But we do get that reference in the film, so so yeah, so you know that's that's uh, seeing Feely take over for his uncle could totally happen.
1: By the way, I apologize for my typo in a Feely and kill.
2: Feely and cool.
1: <laughs> Thoroughly Feely and kill.
2: Yeah, you're making Kiwi look Welsh there. You know, yes. vowels yes. optional. uh, (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm not making fun of Welsh, by the way. I love the Welsh language.
1: Actually, it would be Kish, who's Welsh. (laughs) Exactly.
2: Exactly. Um, No,
1: that's a really good point I hadn't thought of, you know, that Feely actually, logic, I mean, could actually live and take over as king in in Jackson's universe. Why not? Yeah,
2: it could happen. It could happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't
1: even think about D. Well, first of all, I, I just think D is so unlikely, just based on what Armitage has said so far.
2: Yeah, I, I, I so and far. and I mean, and I really, there's,
0: I, I refuse that, to accept. That I refuse that's to even accept. Possible. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I, yeah. I, 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 I do too. I, there's no way I can believe that. But again, primarily, it's, I know that people have continually said about the Hobbit films in particular. These films have just left the books entirely behind, and I have again and again argued no, they don't. They do different things, they add different stuff, but they have never just forgotten the books. Um, and to leave Thorin alive would be the exactly the kind of fundamental change yeah. that they haven't made. I mean... I don't. Th- I, I, I. still say that I don't think there is. En- there has been any change to the plot of the story. Um, from the you know, in their adaptation from book to film in The Hobbit, there is no change that they have made, which is in my mind comparable. To the change that they made with Aragorn's character, to have him have like turned from that path years ago, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and him being like unwilling or reluctant, the and reluctant and for error. Boromir to have heard of him before, and like the, the, that change to Aragorn's character in the Fellowship of the Ring, um, is I think a more profound departure from Tolkien's story than anything they've done in The Hobbit, um, and. Having Thorin survive would be would be comparable um, right. in in what they're doing. Um, but both Philip and Kurt are bringing up Faramir's. I disagree. Um, I, I, I disagree. It comes right up to the precipice, but Faramir in the end does let them go and say like that. The, the interlude of Faramir saying, "I'm going to bring you back to my father," um, is an exaggeration of, you know, basically, Peter Jackson is exaggerating Faramir's daddy complex and is pulling Faramir down about eight pegs uh, of of greatness. Absolutely, I'm not trying to defend, believe me, the, the change in Faramir, as I've always found it, one of the two most appalling uh, character shifts um, that he did. The most appalling, of course, being Treebeard. But, um, <laughs> uh, at least, you know, in, in my own personal opinion... Um, but however again it's it's not a final change in the trajectory at the end of the day. Faramir ends up playing a playing a role which is at least kind of comparable again his The, the nature of him is changing, but it's not I still would not count that as nearly as fundamental a change as saying instead of having Aragorn as You know, the lost and new catastrophic heir of the ancient line who has been waiting and preparing for this day and whose hour has now come and is going to return and become king. To to change that fundamental story into... You know, I don't think I should be king. I don't want to be king. Everybody knows. You know, you know, uh, like Boromir knows who he is and the significance of that, but he's turned away. That changes the plot, I think, in a very, um, in a very, very remarkable way. Kurt says he sees my point, but he's still appalled. Totally with you, Kurt. Not trying to argue out of being appalled by Faramir, Uh just that I don't think it's nearly as fundamental a change to the story, the shape of the story as a whole. Um, so again, I, for, for that reason. I can't imagine them going there. I, I, they could have 100 million people sign the petition and I don't think Peter Jackson is going to make that change to the story. Not based on what we've seen in the first two films.
1: So, basically then we've got ABC and E. What would be some of the E? Did we talk about that? Well, again, e I, I, I think
2: E... <sighs> So actually, let me let me let, let me ask with the E people because we do have several people who have voted E. Right. Um, of the of those of you who have voted E. Um. What. What is swaying you towards E? Do you, those of you who are voting E, do you believe that Feely or Kiwi will survive? Is that, is that part of your thinking? Because to me, that's the right. primary manifestation of E, right? Is if like Feely or Kiwi die, but other dwarves die? So like Feely lives, but Bofor dies, for instance. You know that would be that would be an E answer, technically. Um,
1: well, we do have. I mean, C Feely can live in C, right? right? But every,
2: but all the other dwarves have to live too. You know, C is the oh, fewer right. total deaths answer. That's right. So
1: that's right, that
0: fell off. Yeah.
2: Right. Now, now nobody has voted for C yet. Um, right. You know, we, we're still sitting at zero on both C and D. Um,
0: no one thinks people will live.
2: Nobody, yeah. So everyone's everyone's very uh, pessimistic about the life expectancy of dwarves in this film. Apparently, there's uh, nobody taking a cheery view of this. Um, so everybody. So, so Andrew McLaughlin
1: so, says he's going for Thorin, one of the Elys, and one or two of the other dwarves.
2: Okay, right, right, yeah. So that so basically, if you think Fili or Kili is going to live, you think that's only going to happen if other dwarves die too. so that that we're still going to have at least the same net body count. Still a minimum of three total dwarf fatalities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarah Lagarde argues that, uh, that Jackson is still like... Still has a tinge of of Ger Martin, uh, and that uh, we're going to increase the body count. Therefore, um, and she points out, you know, Jackson did kill off Haldir in the Battle of Helm's Deep. So, you know, so we do have the precedent of let's let's kill off another character who, you know, obviously wasn't killed off in the book um, in order to. But see, I've, my problem with the Haldir parallel is, um, uh, is that. Haldir's death... Nobody else died in the Battle of Helmsley. I mean, lots of, there are lots of corpses, but no other named characters died in that battle. Um, so in order to convey the loss, you know, in order to have grieving, other than just shots of extras grieving over people, they can still do that. You know, like the very effective moment where we had the... You know, we showed the women and children huddling in the caves, Right. Uh, terrified. You can also get, you know, uh, evocative pictures of like, you know, a twelve-year-old boy in armor crying over his, you know, weeping over the body of his father at the Battle of Helm's Deep. You can do that kind of thing, but it seemed like, you know, the killing off of a named character was clearly a move that they, you know, that 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 sort of, you know, raised the profile um, of the of the you know the, the the grief and loss element of the battle. Um, but you know, we've got you know, we start off by default with, uh, you know, you get three deaths for free uh, before you have to start paying for extras at the Battle of Five Armies, you know. Uh, so... So we've got... We've got... We've got plenty of grief and loss uh, even before we really roll our sleeves up and get working here. Um,
0: uh... That's... Yeah, I think... I think, uh, I think, um... Bask pulls off extras just so they can save on animation at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now,
1: somebody, somebody here. Okay, so some. I, I, okay, I'm trying to think who it is, says that they think he, Feely will live. Yep, but. In which case, that would either be C or E. C I'm or assuming e. that person must have either not voted yet or voted E because we did, still don't have a takers for C. I mean, if you think Feely's going to live, C would be no other dwarfs die, which I think is totally feasible in Jackson's. I mean, like Calder is a good example; he died, nobody else really did that we knew of, you know.
2: Right, right, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's sure, um, it is interesting. I mean, basically, essentially, the fact that nobody has voted for C yet tells me. Nobody believes that Jackson is going to reduce the body
1: count, right? Yeah,
2: that there's going to be just an action, an absolute re- reduction in the number of, of major deaths. That would be
1: only two dead. Yeah, right. yeah,
2: that would be o- only I one or know. two deaths.
1: Or well, it's Feely and or Keely lives. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's right, one that's or it. two. Yeah,
0: yeah. Gosh. Let's think this through. I wonder what the. Um, I don't know why. Like my inclination here is to go with is to go with either A or B um, just sort of first blush the, the way most of the, the listeners, right. live listeners okay. are but there is a part of me that feels like there's a pretty good chance that, that feels like they've set things up for Feely or Keely to live
1: mm-hmm. 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 I'm, gosh I'm um, in exactly the
2: same boat you are do you right? have arguments That's for Keely? I mean, I Keely, was making my uh, argument that Kiwi is doomed for death. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. Do you see a yeah, reason actually, to to, 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 to keep him alive? It's Feely,
1: it's Feely, really, it's Feely. that's where I'm at. Yeah, I yeah. think Kiwi's going to die. I think Feely, whether Feely dies yeah. or not, it's Feely a is question. our long term, our best
0: long term investment here. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Keely, Keely set up for a tragic death just because. Um, yeah, he's gotten too much. Too much uh, character development time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly.
2: Um, Not to mention uh, the fact just, that he's got a mom who loves him and is worried about him. You know, that's so right.
1: Yeah. That, right. So he's almost. Yeah, certain. no. Keely doesn't, doesn't have a rock. I mean, come
0: on, mom. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mom. Only, did,
0: mom obviously has is, favorites. The yeah. only thing is, I feel like, I kind of feel like there is a reasonable narrative case to be made for either Keely or Tariel surviving, at least. I, I, I guess there's a variation of this where one of them dies early and the other one dies a little bit later. But I feel like if they if they both die on screen in two in in rapid succession, there is not enough. To, there's no time left for for appropriate sort of for for that death to sink in for the the audience <laughs> for for the characters to mourn the death on screen. Yes. And and I feel like and I feel like I mean you know. Um, uh, Toriel's, I guess there's other characters that are that are that are that could mourn. You know, Legolas will certainly mourn Tariel, um, Feely and and other dwarves will certainly mourn Keely, but but not in the same way that Tariel will mourn Keely or Keely will mourn Tariel. And so that that's kind of the, that's sort of the one the one kind of justification I could come up with with Keely living that that sort of line of reasoning of like. Yeah. You know, like, we need we need him, he needs some serious screen time to be really sad and upset that Toriel's dead.
1: Well, I mean, he could he could mourn her, but still, I mean, for a very short time, and then also die, right? I mean, we could still see him mourning her death, but then, you know, he ends up buying it. Now, I do have another option for Keed, for Feely dying, which is actually pointing to the very same scene that Corey was talking about yeah. that would justify Keely, Feely living, <clears throat> which is in that same scene with Thorin. The reason he stays behind in spite of being the heir is to support his brother. Yes. I could see Feely dying on the battlefield as he's trying to protect himself. Self
2: sacrificially, yes.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yes. So I mean that scene could set up either way, really.
2: Yep. Yep, Um, I can definitely see I mean I can certainly see that. We're
0: told in the book that Feely and uh, Kiwi die defending their uncle. You know, I mean that's
1: right. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, That's right. I think Philip's suggestion is right uh, Or is a good one I, I think um, Keely or Toriel Dying at, during the, the Smouse attack um, Would be more uh, convenient leaving, <laughs> Yeah well That leaves that leaves Sufficient time for the death to sink in For the other The, the surviving character to mourn it um, And then the other one Bites it at the Battle of Five yeah. Armies yeah. I
1: think Toriel um, buys it at but Lake I, Town which turns Keely into a berserker you know, and then he just goes yeah. into battle like crazy. By the two, way,
2: two. I think we have to, th- therefore, we have to throw, if one of these, if, if any of the dwarves die at Laketown, the answer has to be E, right?
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because we're assuming all the dwarves yep. would be there yeah. at Erebor. Yeah. So, yeah. E would be.
0: All you any- people voting for, yeah. all you people voting for B, you haven't thought it through. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, here's the other thing that I'm... all of a sudden, e starts going...
2: Here, here's the other thing that i that i that, that i'm thinking through with uh, with 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 b i'm inclined against b um, and it's not because i think peter jackson is squeamish but you know as the ethos of his films has not been in the gore martin direction that it it hasn't been in the killing of major characters bodies flying all over the place but not major characters, they tend to instead remember remember the complaints that everybody had about um, about how nobody was even injured, you know when they plummeted in the bridge after killing the goblin king down like. You know, five hundred feet to the bottom, and then the Goblin King lands on them. If that were a George R. R. Martin novel, they would have all died. (laughs) In that scene, Um, but instead, we don't even have any of them injured. I mean, the impulse of these films has been all along. Um, to 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 shield the major characters. So I, I I don't believe myself that he's going to kill other major characters in a Rankin Bass kind of way. That is, they were just thrown in for good measure in Rankin Bass. Like for, there was no right. reason given. It was not part of any kind of a narrative arc. It was just, oh, and by the way, you're never going to see these other dwarves again either. Um, and. I, I don't expect just to increase the number of named corpses on the battlefield. We're going to get that. Now, my question then, though, becomes, are there any other dwarves for whom it makes narrative sense or for whom it would be narratively satisfying for them to die on the battlefield? Um, Dwalin. Dwalin is a possibility. Bofer is a possibility. Bofur. Bofur, Bofur. Um, mm mm-hmm. With the rest of them, I can't really say. I mean, like, if you kill off Nori or Ori, for instance, and I know that Ori is mentioned, you know, he's the one who writes the journal in, in Moria, but that's not in the film, so, you know... That's we're, right, not so in the, the film. We don't right. have to do, you know, we don't have to be restricted to that. My suspicion, by the way, is that Ori's going to survive anyway, because he's like the doofus little kid of the party, and, and, you know, killing him would be like, you know, would be like stepping on a puppy, you know, so yeah, I don't think right. Peter Jackson Nori, would do that.
1: Nori could, I suppose. Nori could kind of die, of but again, it,
2: that would be a meaningless thing. You know, no. just uh, it would accomplish anything to have Nori die. Yeah. Bofor, we've invested enough in Bofor's character right. um, that his death could be. Dwallin would be like a again.
1: Klingon's death. You know, he'd, he'd go yes. into battle and yes. he'd kill, he
2: would die you know, like a Viking. Orcs. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could see Dwallin dying a Viking kind of death. Um, but
0: Dwallin is well on his way to Stovokor. <laughs> <He is. laughs> <He is. laughs> you know, the Klingon.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um. But, uh, um, yeah, so, I mean, that I could see, but uh, but honestly, I, I, I don't kind of think, think so. think they're going to kill Bofor. You think they're going to kill Bofor? Why? Think. Why do you think, why, now, again, they're making his character more significant, but why do you see death for him?
1: I'm more sympathetic.
2: Yeah.
0: Because yeah, just, I, just, you know, just like, just, just for there to be some, just for there to be some additional pathos. The, I feel, the I message being the needless just,
1: loss of war. The needless loss. Experience.
0: That was that. That's
2: that's how I interpret the message in Rankin Bass, of course. You know, yeah, to, so to yeah. sort of emphasize that
0: as as the the, the depiction of the Battle of Five Armies. I was just thinking, Peter Jackson messing with us. Oh yeah, I see. <laughs> right, Peter Jackson messing with us. Well, but see, again, again,
1: it's what the move. It's the content, not the intent,
2: right? <laughs> right. I don't. It's. I don't. I mean, Philip points out. I think Beau, Beaufort's death may have some meaning for Bilbo. Right. I agree. Yeah. But I. I don't know. I mean, it's. I'm not saying I think it's impossible, but from everything we've seen of Beaufort's character, his doesn't seem like a trajectory that that ends in death. It doesn't. It doesn't seem to be the direction his story's going. Um, I don't know.
1: Oh, by the way, Kim Wehrmeister has pointed out. I mean, maybe Dwalin will be seriously injured, but apparently, based on what Graham Tavish has said in interviews, uh, he's talked about how Thorne's death affects Dwalin. So.
2: So Apparently Dwalin gone. goes berserk and and uh you know he may
1: dies after
2: killing, a- you know, 150 orcs in 35 seconds uh when when <laughs> when, when, <laughs> when Thorin dies. Um yeah. But
1: Thorin we assume Thorin's going to probably die after the battle's over, right? So Dwalin yeah. might get injured,
2: but it sounds Though, like he's though again, live. you know he could be you know there for the mortal in you know wounding of, of Thorin. He could be Oh, one of true. the people pulling Thorin off the battlefield again Bjorn yeah. carries him off the battlefield in the book. I would expect one or more of the dwarves to carry him off the battlefield in the, in, in the film um,
0: So um, so Corey, if I'm reading your your reasoning correctly, you think that you think that C is more likely than E.
1: Oh, then all the dwarves will live. Uh, either Feele and Kili live, and all the dwarves live. Versus, I Feeley
2: think and or Keely C, live, and. I feel that C is a little is more likely than B. When I ask myself which direction do I feel like the arrow is pointing towards the preservation of named characters or the destruction of named characters in Peter Jackson's films as a whole and the way that they handle these, I would say it's pointed in the direction of the preservation of named characters. Um, and that we have to go to Haldir in Helm's Deep to give an example of a named character that, that Jackson has gone out of his way to, to kill off. And he had to go out of his way to drag him into the story in order to get him killed off, right? I mean, that is to say, he did not... Did he ever just kill a guy who is there in the book? That is, just like, alter alter the plot, Tolkien's plot... By killing off a character who in the book survives, did that ever happen in the Lord of the Rings films? I don't remember it ever happening. I might be forgetting something, but
1: I've been trying to think. I've been thinking. thinking,
2: I don't think it does. I don't think he ever just killed off an extra character who in the book survives. Um, So, so this is why I'm having a hard time believing in B. I could be convinced. I could be convinced that um, that you know because of the particular the particular you know storyline trajectories of some of the other dwarf characters who had basically no trajectory of their own in the book. Um, characters like Bofur is the is the, is the the obvious example of this. A character who's been given um, a kind of independent life and story in the film that he did not have at all in the book. Um, therefore, because he has been individualized in that way that Jackson could decide that his story is going to culminate in Death on the Battlefield, whereas it didn't in the book. Um, uh, that that's that's um, I, I could believe that. So you know, I'm not I'm not like shouting down B as an impossibility in the same way that I would shout down D as I believe a functional impossibility. Um, but I don't expect it. I, I I'm not I'm not viscerally convinced by the arguments for the death of any of the other dwarves in the party, other than the big three. That is the three who die in the book. Um, I'm willing to believe it's possible, but I'm not convinced. And um, so, I, so for me, B is out, D is out. So for me, uh, I'm thinking A, C, and E. Um, and E, I'm skeptical of for the same reason, because again, he'd have to be choosing to kill off one of the other dwarves for, for what, I, what I would feel was a good reason. And since I haven't seen that reason enough to make me choose B, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to choose E either. So again, for me, the question is A or C.
0: You don't accept for good measure as a, no, uh, I don't accept for leader. good measure. Well,
2: I, I mean, <laughs> and again, and and, 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 and and in saying that, I'm saying that not because I guess here I'm am breaking my own my own uh, my own uh, 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 my own new policy of uh, voting for awesome instead of likely. But my, my, my rationale for that is just simply through, you know my analysis of the other five films. And saying what seems to be the trend, what seems to be the t- what kinds of stories are these? The kinds of stories because it is I get to, to briefly go back to uh, you know our recurring sub theme of this entire episode, namely George R R Martin. Um, <laughs> the fact that George R R Martin so often kills off his major characters, it's not it's, not, it's just a quantitative difference. It's a, it's it makes it a different kind of story. Um, a fundamentally different kind of story that I experience very differently as a reader. Um, That's why I don't accept for good measure. Because if you're going to kill off a bunch of named characters, you've made a serious choice. And this is what I dislike so much about the way they do it in the Rankin-Bass, is that they do it, but they're wusses about it. Right? They just drop in a single line of dialogue oh FYI these other dwarves also died oh uh, yeah gosh isn't that sad yeah um, right. like they don't really they, they don't really push their chips to the center of the table and you know, they make the choice but they don't really they don't really they don't really follow it up I, I think that that's 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 a that's a wimps way out um, but uh, hey, what yeah first yeah.
0: question um, what about the converse question that Jared Michael brings up does he ever do you ever give reprieves to characters who die in the books? Can we think of any examples of? I haven't
1: been able to think of anybody.
0: It is hard. Like, I feel like I feel like we're in kind of a unique situation here, yeah. where we have um, named characters 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 in a, in in a, in a film that we have come to be familiar with that we care about. Who, um, who, who are not sacrosanct? So, like, I feel like the fellowship, um, apart yes. from Gandalf, you know, arguably, the fellowship in uh, Boromir, the fellowship in the Lord of the Rings were sacrosanct. Right. Like, like, you could not kill any of them. Same thing with like characters like Aomer and um, um, and Faramir. I guess you know. I guess maybe you could seen them killing Faramir. Maybe I don't know. But, uh, you know, like, I feel like... I feel One like, could
2: say they might as well have. But anyway, sorry, sorry. Got to, uh, just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, but, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: But, I, but I think we're in a unique situation here where, 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 like, where there are characters both who died that we can imagine him allowing to live, and it would sort of make sense and not destroy the story, or characters who live that he could theoretically kill. Maybe he has no reason to do so, but doing so wouldn't destroy the story.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, 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 um, uh, and I've been thinking and I can't think of the converse question that, that, that Gerald was asking. I can't think of anybody who, uh, dies in the book that stays alive in the film. Um, it's really. Pre- uh, I, uh, by the way, I did think of another named character whom Jackson kills off in *The Lord of the Rings*, and who lives in the book: the Mouth of Sauron. Aha uh-huh. That's not really a major example, but there you go. That was an extra death. Uh, he lives in the book. Um. But guess, like again, that's, how far, say, that's guess, how far. That's how far we think, have to go. Oh, God, I, a- Azog got a reprieve, right? Exactly. Azog, there you go. Azog <laughs> lived. There oh, you go.
1: There you
2: go. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Azog. Of course, we're overlooking better, better the obvious. It'll... Azog, who better dies enough, it's in the book, take, but he lives in the film. Absolutely. There you go. Q.E.D. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't. I can't think of anybody else. Um, but I agree with you, Dave, that we, this, we can't just simply point to that precedent and say, well, so haven't we just pretty much proven that the answer is a right that, you know, that in fact hit the track record over five films is that Peter Jackson has, in fact, when it comes to death toll, um, and the, the death of named characters stuck almost exactly to the books on both, in both directions. Yeah. Um, Yep, yep. But I don't yep. think, for it, it, exactly it, it, the reasons that you argue Yeah. Yeah,
0: going strictly by precedent. The yep. only really acceptable answers are A and
2: C. Yeah, exactly. Strictly by precedent. Um, uh, but, and, and, and I... I'm, I'm being very strongly influenced by precedent here, again, primar- primarily in thinking about in the terms that I was trying to explain, thinking about the nature of the story, sort of the, 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 the quality of the story. Um, and I have a hard time thinking he's just going to suddenly flip a switch and become George R. R. Martin in film three when he hasn't ever been that in any of the rest of the stories. And because it would be a story shift, and I don't anticipate that kind of shift, so I don't believe in it. Um, and I certainly don't think it would be awesome so I'm not voting for it on either on on either ground Um, I'm going C you're going C? I'm going C and the reason I'm going C the reason I am in the end going to choose C over B or over A rather is that I don't think it's going to be squeamishness but I think it's going to be I think that Dan is going to be is too peripheral character. I think that the 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 storyline of the restoration of the kingdom of Erebor has been too central to this film and that having this Mm -hmm. random dude who just came out of nowhere and is like, oh, and by the way, he's distantly related to Thorin. Let's make him king (laughs) under the mountain at the end and then call that a happy ending and say, see, look, hooray, the kingdom of the dwarves is 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 recovered That'll be technically true, but I don't think it's really gonna hit home. In order to have a restored kingdom Especially Yeah, we're gonna yeah, need the especially, line
0: of... especially given what we've especially given what we've heard about him, where yes. it sounds like they're gonna make him a somewhat farcical character. Right. Right. Or at least um, that, I think you're right. And yeah. they've really set they've set they've set Feely up as like a noble character who makes the right decisions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, yeah,
1: yeah, and you're right. I mean, the uh, the the self-sacrificial role could go to Taryal as, as far as Keeley dying. Yep, you know, she could die sacrificing for him. So, Philly, yeah, I, mean, I could definitely see Jackson keeping Philly alive and, and having him become king.
2: Yeah, that's Thorin. my that's that, that would be my official prediction. I mean, I, I already predicted uh, that Kiwi is doomed. So, yeah, I I, I, I think it's going to be Kiwi and Thorin, and Feely's is going to survive.
1: So and, in my case, if I subscribe to that, then it's either C or E, E being if other dwarves die. Right,
2: right, if you think Bofor's also well. going to buy it or something like yeah. that. Um, yeah. I, uh, and so, by the way, my, my sort of meta prediction here is is that uh, I, I, I predict... No, it's not exactly a meta prediction. It's like a, a down-the-road prediction. Um, I also predict that the survival of Feely is going to be one of the primary things that I'm going to be giving lectures about next year, trying to explain why I don't think it's a horrible, terrible deviation from the <laughs> book for him to do, and everybody else saying, see look, he's ripping Tolkien to shreds, he left, he left Feely alive, and Tolkien's rolling over in his grave, so um, that's going to be, Feely survival I really is going to be like my, my, uh, my Keely and Toriel relationship
0: thing for next year, that's,
2: that's yeah. my, that's my yeah, other that's right. free, free bonus Keely prediction
0: there yeah, Sorry. I did want to ask. Like, do you think? Do you is that something? Do you think will infuriate people?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I agree. it my, doesn't infuriate my, me, though. My prediction it's of the infuriation year. of people is much more confident than my prediction of that actually occurring. <laughs> but um, I'm confident yeah. that if it
0: occurs, it's going to infuriate people. I feel very confident yes. of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, people's reactions to that are completely predictable. We know exactly. <laughs> yeah, I really think so. I really I really do think so. Maybe, you know, who knows? Right. Maybe. Um, I, 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 I'm yeah. saying C yeah. as well.
2: You're saying C as well. All right.
0: Yep, I was leaning in that direction um, all along. Uh, I, I just, oh, man, I really think they're going to leave one of those two guys alive. I, I think, I think you're right. I think the the restoration of the kingdom of Erebor story and the return of the kingship to the line of Durin is much stronger if it goes to one of those two than if it goes to random character that hasn't been in either of the other films.
1: Yeah. And they've yeah. made such a point of it, I think, in the movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. Really being the yes.
2: And Dan has been so off the map. Peripheral. I mean, the only thing we've gotten is that they, they like, <laughs> basically, he's going to be like the dude who wouldn't help them at the beginning and is now helping them for some reason because he saw the, you know, like they sent up the Arkenstone bat signal and he came. Again, that's fine and everything, but yeah, I just, I don't see that.
1: I don't, I, My- I, my, uh, my thinking in that regard is how much Billy Connolly's irritated me with regard to his role in this movie. I don't want that just, guy like, to be king. Th- and well, my thought is, <laughs> who knows? Maybe he irritated Jackson so much that Jackson just rewrote it. So much, Diana, that's <laughs> that's right. Forget, it.
2: Forget it. Forget I it. I'm taking <laughs> away your kingship. Yeah. <laughs> well, but,
1: I'm, um... I'm. I'm actually thinking this too. I mean, again, we've been so woefully wrong in the la- in the past, you know, that I. I Always want to second think my, my thoughts here. But I do think that it does make sense if Feely would live. That then my question is is it, is it C or E? You know, my question for Yeah. other dwarves die. Indeed,
0: I, I would argue I think E is more likely than A or mm. B. Yeah. It I, makes I, sense. I I am so sure that one of Keely or Feely will die that, that that I think it's more likely right. that other dwarves will also die than it is that he will that kill both of them both will Feeley die. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm hung up is, you know, do all the dwarves live? And I think, you know, your argument is good in that he's not just killed to kill in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, If anything, like you said in the Goblin Kings deal, you know, I mean, they all live. Of course, that being part of the story where they all needed to get to the Lonely Mountains. So so he made sure they all still lived.
2: No, they didn't. (laughs) We could have done without well, any number of them. We could have I lost Nori back in the, in the in the I you know there. Think... We could have lost. I mean, seriously, Beider's got an axe Philippa in his head. What good is do he do doing that. to anybody? That's you know, like, I don't think Philippa would let him do that. Though. No, I, think I don't Philippa think so either. But the point is, it could have happened. I mean, there are so many things. This is one of the reasons that 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 uh, so, to some extent people's obje- like purest objections to the Hobbit films kind of set off my 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 uh, my, my my justice. Meter like I feel people are being unjust because there are so many. If, if 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 he were just tearing the book to shreds and not caring about the book as oh, so yeah. many purists depict, he, th- there are so many things he could have done worse. To like done, he, ca- yeah. he he gave us all thirteen dwarves in the first place. He could have been like, that's way too yeah. many dwarves. Most directors would have said that was way too many dwarves yeah. and said, let's just make it a more efficient party of like five and give them each a really important yeah. role. He didn't do that. He could have been doing this. He could have. We could have been having dead dwarves, you know, in a in a in a trail leading all along the way. We had extras. You know, we had red shirts in the party if we needed them. By far, has he done anything? You know, again, Nori, he's been a, a, an essential non-entity. Ori already delivered his prophetic speech in Bag End. He's done now. We can get rid of him.
1: We don't really need Dory to be the fussy older brother. No.
2: Ori's <laughs> cute, but superfluous. You know, so yeah, I mean, like, there's, 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 there's no reason we couldn't have been whittling down the company to this point. Um, absolutely, okay, it could me. have happened.
1: I'm going with C2. <laughs> so that makes Kurt, <laughs> Kurt well, Schreier and, and the three of us.
0: <laughs> that's right. Well, if there's if there's one thing you can be sure of now, folks, it's that C is not the right answer.
2: Exactly right. That's if we right. all three so of Kurt, us agree on something, Kurt especially if we're
1: celebrating now, but Kurt, you're going to be sorry. That's, that's
0: right. That's right. Yeah, that's wrong. right. You're. A, I would you're, like to know what Brianna thinks. What do you think, Brianna? Yeah, Bri, what was your vote? Let's get down to, like,
2: serious, uh... Serious business. Yep, Yana she was... She says,
1: feeling Achilles' death is partially Thorne's fault, so him losing his kingship and his line is sort of the point.
0: Yeah, so she's been A from the beginning. So she's A, yeah. Yep. She's fair, A. fair enough, but that's not the story they're telling in the films. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. yep.
2: I, I, I I like it. I like the C story. I think it could work really well. Um, that is, I like how it fits with the story they've been telling so far. Um... Yep, yep. No, I'm happy with this.
1: Well, my thing says 81% voted. Does your say 81%? Yeah, or that's right,
2: that right. That's good. Yeah, let's 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 close so it I, I, I got to go closing? here in in a minute. Yeah, so.
1: Too. Okay, so here we go. oh share. I Forgot I have to
2: share it. There we go. Okay. So, so we've got A th- predominates. Four, 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 four. I'm delighted to say zero percent have voted for D. Nobody thinks Thorne's going to live. Um,
1: Yes, thank God. You guys have learned from us well. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, somebody may think he lives, but they damned if they were going to say it, right? (laughs) Right. We've
2: been, been like, kicking dirt in the faces of everybody who wants Thorne to live for weeks now. That's right. (laughs)
1: So I didn't say anything. Right. <laughs> that may be the rest of the people that didn't vote yeah
2: exactly yes we've been we've been bullying and intimidating the pro thorns living party Corey,
0: Corey, here's the real question if thorn somehow lives will you will you end your will you end your relentless defense of the uh, films and join and join the um, the purest bandwagon of he's destroyed <laughs> them he's destroyed <laughs> them
2: i <laughs> I'm never going to join the purest bandwagon, but I, will I like that uh no I think I think the odds of me being ready cheerfully to defend the survival of Thorin if it happens say, are about two percent.
1: Your justice reflex will not kick in on that one no
2: it will not kick in on that one um i i I, I uh no no i mean again i'm I'm, I'm giving it two percent I'm not saying zero percent because I've not seen the film and perhaps maybe uh, you know there's like a way that they could tell that story that would be satisfying in a way that I don't currently anticipate and you know that he has a thing in mind that I'm not seeing I, you know I always want to hold out the possibility for that uh and that I would you know be converted to this storyline pl- during the film but I think there is no more than a 2% chance of that occurring if it if that's the way it goes so yes I would I would uh I would. I would not. I'm. 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 I'm already kind of composing in my head my. Uh, my defenses for Fewe survival. I am not preparing defenses <laughs> for Thorin's survival. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I. 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 Oh, sh- I, I okay. You know what I think I should do. I think I should do just like they do. You know how um, you know, if you're a if you're a if you're a sports fan, if you if you follow the NFL. You know how NFL teams always create draft press releases prior to doing their picks. So they don't know which pick they do, but they obviously have right. press releases written for like any one of 15 players that they might pick in the first round because the instant the go. pick is announced, their press release is out and you know, you know, it's, it's obviously been no time to do it. I think I'm going to do the same thing. I think I'm going to pre-record before I see the film. I'll pre-record a podcast episode in which I defend the 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 the, the survival of Feely. So as soon as I see the film, if it happens, I'll just I'll just release it, you know, so that people can have <laughs> yeah. my response. Before, like when they come home from the theater, they'll have my podcast episode defending it, you know, already there, you know, on their feed. And uh, I, I I I think that's what I'm going to do. And then if he doesn't die, or if he does die, I just won't release it. You know, just like all those other. Press releases that the teams presumably wrote for the players they didn't draft, uh, you know, just get uh, just get thrown in the hopper. So yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: Okay, so well, you've 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 just wasted a perfectly good two hours listening to the riddles and dark. That's my car talk ending.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Invest. <laughs> now, I prefer now, to think of it as an investment of time investment, rather than a wasting of time.
1: Absolutely no, and I'm totally tongue in cheek. Now we are a little. We do need to do a little bit of pow wowing, the three of us, about the next when the next episode is actually going to happen. If it is going to be in two weeks, because I know Dave is going to be either in route or at San Diego at that point. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. I have... tuned everybody. I
0: should yeah. have. Um, I should have just just to give you a preview, um, in, the, in case the listeners are interested too. I'm going to Comic Con. I haven't finalized my travel plans. I'm either going down Thursday night or Friday morning. I'm going to attend the con for part of Friday. And then, as soon as I see a line for Hall H forming, I'm getting in it, and then I will stay in it until the panel <laughs> on 10 a.m. on Saturday. So okay. I'm, well, I'm committed uh, to spending the night. Good. So Hopefully,
2: and, and- we will be. Okay. I was just going to say quickly. Any listeners, uh, uh, you know, listeners who are, who are who are listening to this recording, who are planning to go to San Diego Comic Con, uh, you should you should reach out to Dave so that we can mm-hmm. so he can he can have Sweet as much Kim support here there, as possible. Sure. So, yeah. so yeah. So this is so so. Reach him at Twitter at at Dave Kale, um, you know, D A V E K A L E, and uh, and you can always get him
1: on the Riddles and Dark
2: page too. Yeah. Let or him know email me
0: kale at mythgard org. Yeah. Yeah,
2: kayla.mythcar.org, too, yeah. Now, email um,
1: I do think, hopefully, we will be able to do our Thorin episode two weeks from today. Yep. You know, Hopefully, you'll be in your hotel room or whatever, and, and can you know, we can just do that. And then, what we also want to powwow about is doing a special Comic-Con episode uh, just about your experience of Comic-Con. Hopefully, maybe that Monday or whenever will work for mm-hmm. you. So, we just need to figure out with you, Dave. And, and Kim, obviously, can join us for that yeah
2: well. yeah um, any 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 podcast listeners who are who are there we'd totally like to have you like be a live panel on the us. next show yeah. Yeah, come yeah
1: and be on that for that special bonus comic con show so anyway we'll figure that up. but hopefully we'll be able to have the two week the already scheduled one in two weeks happen on schedule and then we'll let you know about the bonus one yeah mm-hmm. figure out when we figure out dave's schedule and when he'll be awake and stuff
2: yeah cool Um,
1: Anything else? We have uh, uh, MythMoot, right?
2: MythMoot, yes. The call for papers Uh, has gone out uh, for MythMoot.
1: We've been receiving receiving a steady stream of of proposals. And please, I hope anybody who wants to, this is a great um, venue if you've never presented before, but have been wanting to, this is a perfect place to do that. And um, just send it into proposals at MythGuard.org and you'll get put in the list and uh, hopefully be presenting. Yeah.
2: Cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's uh, That's been a big thing. We have our fall classes for Mythgard coming out soon. They should be released next week.
1: Very exciting um,
2: ones, too. Yeah, there should be some really some really good stuff. One little preview I can give. I'm doing I'm teaching my Lewis and Tolkien class again. I taught it almost 3 years ago at Mythgard. Um you know and we'll be we'll be doing some some close reading and comparison of C.S. Lewis's fiction and Tolkien's fiction. Those are two, you know, two writers who obviously knew each other and agreed about a lot of things and and hung out a lot. Um, but people often tend to kind of lump their stuff together and I think that right. it's it's kind of unusual actually for people to really sit down and do a close comparison of the two. So that's what we're going to be doing in the class, is sort of looking at uh, and- ways in which they address um, sort of w- – when they're doing similar things or addressing similar questions or issues, to sort of look at how they do it.
1: And I'm an alumna of that course, and I've got to tell you, first of all, you're gonna, are you going to include Glyer's book? I mean, about the Inklings, too? Oh, actually,
2: I'm going to recommend it, though we're not we're not going to okay. do a session on it this
1: time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but I must say, I think – I mean, the discussion the, – Inter, inter-student discussion board in these courses is always active, but I don't think that I've been in as active a discussion board as the Tolkien Lewis course.
2: Huh, yeah.
1: um, there was a lot of really excellent debate, discussion, conversation that went on, as an adjunct to the main you know lectures that auditors and you know uh, MA and can participate in. So th- that's a really good course, and if you've wanted to, know, I didn't know much about Lewis going in, and I'm really glad I took the course because it really uh, helped me a lot to sort of understand. Lewis, uh, much 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 better. So now I can, you know, when I make an opinion about Lewis, I actually have something to fall back on.
2: <laughs> right, and, I'm, and, and uh, I'm always excited about this class because it's the only class I teach in which I get to teach till we have faces, which is uh, oh, I love that a, a book brilliant, so brilliant book, one of the greatest brilliant books C.S. Book. Lewis wrote, which, which really isn't well known. No, no, it, no, I, it, it, it gets never, very I little press. Even up. even Lewis fans, I mean, I've got you know like a I know a lot of people who love C.S. Lewis, but who haven't read till we have faces. Um, so anyway, yeah, yeah, that's... Um... Yeah, I mean,
1: and, and I, you know, I now can say that I'm I'm not as much of a fan of Lewis's fiction as I am of Tolkien's fiction. I'm more a fan of Lewis's nonfiction than of Tolkien's nonfiction, with that exception. Mm-hmm. Till We Have Faces is yeah. just an awesome fiction fiction.
2: Toya faces is excellent yeah um, yeah uh, I, I don't um, yeah Alden I do uh, I don't do the whole space trilogy CS Lewis's space trilogy we do paralandra um, because in particular that's the sort of the, the moment when I'm looking at the way that both of them treat the the, the idea of the fall so looking at sort of Tolkien's fall stories and uh, and Lewis's paralandra and looking at the way they both talk about that because it's a it's By a significant issue in both of their fiction.
1: By the way, Till We Have Faces, I car- I characterize someone as, within the context of Jack- uh, Tolkien and Lewis's lives, fan fiction.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's like myth fan fiction.
1: Myth, myth- Greek mythology fan fiction. <laughs>
2: yeah. Apuleius fan fiction. That's basically what that's it right, is. That's, yeah.
1: that's, right, that's right.
2: Yeah. In the same sense in <laughs> anyway, which, you know, so Virgil was Homer fan fiction. You know, that's that. That's right. Yeah. That's right.
1: Exactly. That's right. Now, Mythgard Academy Dune is coming up soon, isn't it?
2: Uh yeah yeah the Dune class um so we're we we have one more week of uh of of the Book of Lost Tales and I should make a special plug for that uh because uh the um uh, uh the finely dressed uh, Andrew Higgins is going to be uh joining me so we have a special guest in our last Book of Lost Tales class. Riddles in the Dark. Regular Andrew Higgins, um, who is writing his dissertation on uh, Tolkien's early work and, in particular, his early languages, um, is going to be joining me for a discussion of Tolkien's languages—the uh, sort of names and languages in the Book of Lost Tales. We're going to be oh, doing right. sort of an overview of the development of Tolkien's languages. So and, and Andrew can kind of fill us in on kind of the history of the language development and how that language development was connected to the Book of Lost Tales. And then we'll look at some of the ways in which um, the, you know, Tolkien. Queen's work on the languages, uh you know, really sort of influenced the, 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 the lost tales that we've been discussing. So um it's going to be it's going to be really fun. Um, and we're not doing it, that's why Sarah says, is, is Andrew Higgins going to be live in the middle of the night? No, we're going to have to hold it in the afternoon Eastern time instead of <laughs> evening Eastern time next week for exactly that reason. I don't want to uh, to make Andrew talk about it. I'm sure he would uh, get up to talk about uh, Tolkien's early Jew, languages yes. uh, at 2.30 in the morning, but I don't want to compel him to do that. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, so we'll be doing so, and th- so that's the grand finale of the Book of Lost Tales class this coming week. And then we're going to take one week off, and then shifting to a new night, Wednesday nights, starting Wednesday night, July thirtieth. Um, we will be uh, doing starting uh, Frank Herbert's Dune, um, and we're going to be, gonna be good. spending a while on that. We, we've got we've got twelve weeks uh, on Dune because it's there's a lot to talk about. You've got so. to, yeah, so much
0: to talk about.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, this has been fun. You know, I I mean, I'm not going to do it, but I'm almost tempted to take our genre discussion in this out into another bonus episode. You know,
2: I was thinking that that too, especially since a lot of people have been uh, (laughs) prompting me or perhaps trying to provoke me into talking more about George R.R. Martin. Um, Okay, I'll tell
1: you what I'll do. Instead of doing that, just because, you know, I want to get the podcast out and if I have to do all that editing, it may take me longer, I'll give the minute... Point a minute marker right, right, and when right. I post the thing. I'll say okay, at minute such and such to minute such and such. There's this great conversation of genre. <laughs> so if people just want to listen to that part, they can.
2: <laughs> right, right,
0: right, right. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good compromise.
1: That's my I compromise. Think we also,
0: I think we also just need to get. I think we need to get uh Ger Martin to come to Mythmoot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh sure. Oh yeah. That would be I mean, well we'd ha- we certainly would increase the uh attendance.
2: Yes, we would. And uh <laughs> and the controversy. Um you know, that way yeah, like which then like is
1: good.
2: you know, Martin and I could just like, you know, do like fisticuffs if the, all else fails. The
1: battle of the titans.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um yeah, that would be uh, – <laughs> Kurt predicts the Red Wedding would break
0: out at Myth Mood <laughs> if, that, if that happened. <laughs> yeah, Oh, Something God, like that. no. Yeah, good point. Don't bring him. Don't bring him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I am going to – I'll tell you what, though. If I run into – I heard Jim Butcher is going to be at Comic-Con, <gasps> and I'm making it my – one of my other mission is to find him. If I run into him, I'm going to tell him to come. A gentle.
1: Ask Corey every a, year. I'm a
2: gentle guilt him. trip would be good. No, I've actually yes. been very close to, to to getting Jim Butcher before, um, but he had to cancel. Okay. Last time he had to cancel, I think, because he was finishing Skin Game. Um, that was for Tolkien. Yeah, I was going to do, do a Tolkien chat with yeah, him, okay. and I was like scheduled and everything. I was like, actually on the cusp of announcing it because uh, we were going to do a live chat thing. And, uh, and like right before I was about to tweet, uh, that it was going to be happening, you know, in the following week, I got an email that said that, like, he had had to cancel all of his appointments because, like, the publishers were getting on him about his deadline. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I I've been close with Butcher before. Uh, you know, I, I, I like him and I, I, uh, you know, so, yeah, so, you know, it that, 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 that could happen. I hope it does.
1: Yeah. So if you see him, Dave, yeah, definitely. All right.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'll work on yeah. it. All right. I think cool. we should also. I think you should also try to get John Hodgman. John Hodgman? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you had a reason you know, for a that. PC I forget what you reason. The...
1: Yeah, there was a reason a, you said He's a
0: he's a closet Tolkien fan, man. Oh, is he? Uh, right. Oh. And a giant nerd. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, he is a giant nerd. He'd be great to have. I'd love to have him. He's so funny. That would be fun. Oh, of course, and then, of course, there's also always Stephen Colbert, of course, yeah. since he's not anywhere near a big star. Anymore.
2: Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Although we might be able to get, what's his name, the actor, James Franco. <laughs> 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 it's like, look, you couldn't beat Colbert, come to Col- MythBoot and see if you can win the, the, the trivia game.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, that would be funny. Oh, that would be funny. Yeah, that would be. That would be well, it'd, right. it'd be a little bit hard to take that seriously. I mean, like for me to take yeah, that seriously, it be, yeah, to take it seriously. it'd and be I like, yeah, how 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 could we have him and yet like not uh, make fun of him I while know. he was there? It's
1: true. You know, which would be really a sad thing for us to do to our VIP guests. It sure would.
2: It sure would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, well, get, we're open to suggestions. If people have guests they would like to see, of course, that many most of these ideas are not plausible or not realistic. Mm. But um, there I go using but the word Shoot for the stars again.
1: and you may make it to the moon. So I say, let we'll us see. know if you've
2: got any outlandish think yeah. Exactly. We're
1: exactly. working on the agenda right now. So, uh,
2: yep. so yep. This, is
1: the, this is the right time. We're finalizing
2: mm-hmm. that. All right. I got to run. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. See you oh. guys later. Oh, excuse, I should say, of course, That's thanks right. for listening and Godspeed.